I'm Radio Roger, and you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. W-A-P-G, it's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 354. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 3102 at the Hilton Hotel in Omaha, Nebraska. Today's show was recorded on the 20th of December, 2018. Today's episode, Aviation News, since our last episode. Of course, your great feedback, and the best part of the show, yeah, you know it, this week's plane tale, Flown West. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. Flight 354 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast where, just as I, I said, uh, we're going to talk about aviation news, and we're going to answer your fantastic feedback. Well, it's okay. Well, we're going to do some feedback. And here to help me with that effort is from her lakeside studio in South Carolina, a doctor, a skydiver, a marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and a commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot, our favorite backstabber, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff, just laughing at that one. That is another entry for the explain your job poorly column. I will be sure to note that one down and use it when necessary, when appropriate. I should have said professional backstabber. Professional backstabber. I need to write that down. That's okay. We'll, we'll remember that for next time. <laughs> Good to see you. Good to see you. And also joining us from his recording studio across the pond in the English countryside, a professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, and current captain for an international airline based in London, Captain Nick. Not for much longer. Hi there, Captain Jeff, and a very Merry Christmas to you. Thank you very much. And also joining us today... From his stately southern mansion in Smyrna, Georgia, barbecue master, motorcycle rider, party boat skipper, and captain for a major U.S. legacy airline, Captain Dana. Well, hello there, everybody. It's uh, great to be back on another episode and looking forward to another fun uh, experience with this unbelievable crew. I just want to say Merry Christmas to everybody out there. Happy holidays and happy Festivus to the rest of us. Huh. Love that one. Can't forget that. <laughs> and uh, also, one extra one here, a special guest host, joins us today from his studio in the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. A former U.S. Air Force F-15 fighter pilot and current captain for yet another major U.S. legacy airline. The good-looking, handsome Captain Jeff. Well, hello, everybody, and I guess I can cover a little bit better than you did. Ramahama Kwansmas, that covers everything. 
Happy to be here. Great to uh, have you join us, Jeff. Now, it seems like I've just recently seen you. Uh, Was it really? Yeah. Recently? A couple of Uh, days ago, I think. uh, Oh, I guess it was. (laughs) Yeah. On uh, on day one of my four day trip, on day three now, uh, yeah, so day that was one, Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. Uh, the good looking, handsome Captain Jeff uh, took a train down to uh, downtown Philadelphia and met me at the Black Sheep Pub, which is a very appropriate name for the two of us. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh, we had a great time. Great, yeah. great meal. Um, great beer and uh, great, great company. Should and, my uh, ears still be burning? I'm just curious. Well, oh, that was the fun part. No, unless no. you have some kind of an infection. Oh, okay. okay. I'll get that checked out. Okay, please do. I'd go and see a doctor if I were you. Sounds, sounds sensible. I'm not a backstabber either. No. Yeah, just stick one of those needles in your ear. You know, I, I don't think that's something recommended. No? Oh, okay. That's why I'm not a doctor. Well, that's one of many reasons why I'm not a doctor. Um, so, yeah, we uh, we had a great time uh, together and uh, and – Thank you for my birthday gift. I should probably pull that out of my bag. He got me some fancy socks. They're like, for well, hang on. Let me go get them. I you can two, smell them from You here. all just enjoy yourselves here for a second. Quit oh. while he's gone. Maybe not too much, though. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the, wa- the water doesn't do very much for having too much fun. All right. There we go. Wow, I'm not wow, sure where he was storing uh, those. That's some that noisy good. socks. Is he messing with hell over there or what? Um, you, I don't want to know, Jeff. I don't want to know. <laughs> uh, shh. Don't say anything. New thing. Say anything. What you say? Oh, quickie's back. I hear you whispering something. <laughs> All the good things. Sweet nothing. Yeah. in your ear. Sure, sure they are. You know this is recorded. And? Okay. And your point is, what's your point? (laughs) (laughs) Look at this. Here's a birthday gift. My my, birthday is the day after Christmas. Oh, flying socks. Very nice. Look at that. Wait, wait, hold them them still because the video is a little jumpy. Ah, very nice. Very nice. They look very fuzzy and comfy. Yes, they do. I have not tried them on, obviously, because they still have the label on them. Thank you. For for old men, keep the feet warm. Well, there's nothing yeah. worse than a birthday right after Christmas. My younger brother and his daughter are both New Year's Eve, and they always feel cheated. Yeah, I've kind of gotten over that, though. You know, whatever. It's just a birthday. I don't care. I don't need any stinking gifts anyway, because the best gift of all is just your friendship. I'll just go return all that stuff I just purchased. <laughs> yeah, like, well, I mean, don't yeah. go, you know. Yeah, if, wait a minute. Give it to take, somebody else. They don't take the <laughs> yeah. beer back at the boot at the liquor store. I know. I guess I'll have to drink. Yeah, me too. Okay. Well, I don't even like it. So, but I'm still gonna drink it because I can't return it. (laughs) Anyway, um, so let's uh, let's catch up with everybody here. How about that? Um, Who wants to go first? Raise your hand. Not everybody. (laughs) I mean, I usually go first. That was a bad idea. There with the usual. So it's been a dreary December here in the Charlotte area. So not a lot of um, uh, extracurricular activities in the sky to speak of, Um, but been doing a fair amount of running. So that was good. Um, There was a 5K trail race at the Whitewater Center, which is the U.S. National Whitewater Center is here in the Charlotte area. Uh, It was the, we believe, Santa 5K and then 
uh, dog jog afterwards. And we've had a lot of rain. It is currently raining. It is pouring down right now. Everything, so this is a trail run. Everything is muddy, gross, disgusting. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Somehow I managed to win my age group. Woohoo! Somehow. Somehow. Come on. Well, Ray, if I was in the Ray, if I was in the age group below mine or above mine, I would not have even placed in the top three. Apparently, people my age are were a little slower. Slackers, slackers. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, we dressed up. We dressed up Taco, my little dog, in a um, Christmas tree sweater, and we took him out for the dog jog back on the same course. He was not very pleased with any of the situation, from having to wear a sweater to being out in a muddy, cold, wet environment it's i'm sure really... that the speedy taco probably won first place we came in dead last finishing time because they were taking down the timing mat by the time we got back. <laughs> i did complete the uh, 5k with a beer in hand with the last swig going down right as we crossed the finish line and uh the the announcer was quite enamored with with taco and uh they were doing best dressed dog when we got back for their, their costumes, but he had all of the dogs and owners that were still there come down to the finish line and cheer us across the finish. Cause he was pretty impressed that taco actually made it the entire 5k through the mud and muck. I'll put some pictures on Twitter later. It was pretty funny. I was going to call the SPCA and the cruelty to animals people about the, making poor taco go slogging through all that mud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, worse than a muddy taco. Yeah. He got a shower as soon as we got back. Nothing worse than a dirty taco. Nick, mm. Nick, Nick, mm. Dana, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about the dog, to be clear. We're here. talking to talking yeah. about taco. Okay. Um, Nothing smells worse than wet dog. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell that wet you were not sure where that was going. <laughs> it was. Uh, was really concerned there for Jeff was sweating, literally sweating. <laughs> like, for Jeff, you have to realize oh, no. I'm at home. <laughs> okay. But, uh, so, and, and well, uh, yeah. I've, I've been a little under the weather the past day and a half. You can probably hear a little bit. I feel like my voice is kind of scratchy. This seems to be what happens whenever I get sick. Um, nothing major, just a little, ugh, just not 100%, but I'm surviving. I'll be just fine. How about um, the pustules, Steph? Where do they come from? The, uh, I'll have to take a look in the mirror later. I was yeah. not aware that uh, yeah, okay. that had happened. But, uh, <laughs> I apologize for those of you watching the video, apparently. Um, but I'm hoping that my um, my Hoppy Holidays beer will be the... Well, he's uh, got pustules as well. Look at him. That's where it yeah, came from. Kind of, kind of That's one big, big banana nose. I think the, the lady does, too. The, this oh, is close. Oh. I know. It's delicious, though, for what it's worth. Thank couple. you. No to brewing. Excellent. Well, and uh, that about catches you up for me. Well, okay. Uh, let's see. Dana. Hi. What, what have you been up to, sir? I have been out flying. I've been working quite hard. I've worked the last uh, um, seven of eight days. Today is only my, well, actually, I just shouldn't, shouldn't say today is my only day off because I do have, uh, I'm off through Sunday and then go out on Monday, Christmas Eve day. And fly another six days in a row. No complaints here because I leave tomorrow morning to go to the wonderful city of Boston. Spend a little time this weekend with the family. But uh, the last uh, two trips, the most eventful part of the last two trips was the false joking accusation of alcohol. Love that one when the 
passenger pokes their head in the cockpit and said, Hey, you boys been drinking? Oh, yeah. So what was your reaction? Yeah. My reaction was, okay, F asked my FO, did you see who said that? He said, yes. He described him. I followed him to the back of the airplane and I pulled him aside quite privately and said, sir, did you really mean what you said? He said, no, I was just joking around. I said, well, that's not something that you joke around with. And in case anybody has else has heard it, passengers, I'm not going to take the chance. I'm stepping off the aircraft, and uh, the aircraft may take a delay now because I do not take acu- uh, alcohol accusations lightly. So then we had to go through all that process. I had my FO come off the aircraft. Um, and, uh, you know, the, uh, <clears throat> the agent was nice enough to also, uh, you know, after I called our operations control center, spoke to the, uh, uh pilot on duty, uh, and then t- spoke to chief pilot. We decided after, uh, we confirmed that the passenger was seriously just joking, um, that we, uh, were okay to continue. Uh, and through the grace of it being the holiday season, I, I allowed the gentleman back on the airplane. But that was uh, that was not cool. Didn't like that at all. So uh, other than that, that's the major uh, uh, course of action I had the entire week. It was beautiful flying weather. And um, what else happened? Oh yeah, some of my. Uh, f- some of my favorite restaurants I got to visit. One of them happened to be in the wonderful city of Baltimore. And we had a little meetup. I think that uh, Jeff has some audio for us to listen to by chance. I don't know what you're talking about. Nothing at all. (laughs) Here you go. Well, hello there, APG community. This is Captain Dana coming to you live. Well, actually now recorded from the wonderful restaurant called La Scala here in Baltimore. We're having a very small meetup. Uh, joined by uh, some fantastic APG listeners, as well as my first officer that's flying with me here at Acme. And we've just finished our meal and have had a few uh, few uh, adult beverages, not very many, because uh, both my first officer and I are on overnights. But they make unbelievable uh, beverages here at this restaurant. La Scala. The food has been unbelievable. The company is even better, and we have uh, um, some uh, people have come from a great distance, or at least sat in a great uh, amount of traffic to be here in Baltimore this evening uh, with the wonderful traffic that they have here in the D.C. area. So I'm not going to introduce everybody. I'm going to allow everybody to introduce themselves. And the first person I want to hand the microphone over to, because everybody's tired of hearing my voice at this point. You can probably hear all the background noise, but uh, I'm going to hand the microphone over to none other than... Pick a name. He's got, he's got so many. Robert Richard, Haggish, Dick, Haggish, Hamish T. Haggis, that's what it was. I couldn't remember it, actually. So anyways, uh, I'm going to hand it over to Robert, and he's going to say hello at uh, the Baltimore meetup, the number two Baltimore meetup, because Jeff just had one yesterday on Thursday evening. Today is Friday, the 14th of January. Did I say January? I said January. I'm way ahead of schedule, aren't I? I'm thinking about my schedule in January because I'm actually holding a schedule in January. But anyways, uh, we're here December 14th. 
And uh, here it is. Here's Robert. Hello there in APG land. It is 2018 still, I think, and December the 14th with uh, Dana and a bunch of people. And this is Dick Haggis, Hamish, Richard, Robert, I don't know, Athole, something. I'm sure I have a name somewhere around here that we'll all figure out eventually. But uh, tonight has been absolutely wonderful. We've had, I have to say, I don't, I've only met Dana once before, but the food here, as he says, is absolutely outstanding. The drink is even better, although we've only had a taste. You can believe me if you choose to. And uh, it's, it's been really wonderful with a bunch of company here that uh, is, is hard to beat. So thanks for listening and uh, hopefully see you all in a different state of mind at some point in the future. And hey there, my name is uh, David Hobel Heinrich. I work for uh, Acme Airlines, and Dana has been my captain for the last three days. And uh, he's been introducing myself with that crazy last name. It's just this guy with 14 letters that's so long he can't even pronounce it in front of all the passengers. So as, as you know, it's just been a- absolutely great over the last three days. So I knew nothing about APG until I met Dana. However, I'm here now and having an awesome time at this meetup. So great to meet you guys. Happy to be here. Hey gang, this is uh, F.O. Craig. First off, I want to uh, correct Dana, and since I'm a native of the area, it's not Baltimore, it's Balmer. <laughs> so that's the, that's the correct pronunciation. Um, no, it's been a wonderful night meeting new friends, seeing old friends. Uh, the food has been unbelievable, some of the best Italian food I've ever had. And uh, like everybody else has said, the drinks, though as few as they are, they've been great and... Uh, just having a great time as always, and uh, it's always wonderful uh, seeing these guys and having a good time. So I'll pass it on. Hello, APGers. This is uh, Captain Scott, um, but a different kind of captain. I'm a Navy Captain Scott, so this is my first time joining up uh, in the APGers, and uh, it's been a great evening of getting the AP, getting the aviation geek on, and having a couple drinks, and getting to meet some people who had the same passion that I have for uh, for aviation. I made a career out of it in the Navy and I'm hoping to make a career out of it, a second career out of it in the in the real world. Uh, it's been a really treat uh, getting to meet folks and I look forward to doing it again in the not too distant future. I'll pass it on to Captain Dana. Well, as I said, I'd let everybody introduce themselves. Robert, David with the 14 letters in his last name, which I have not been able to even try on this trip. It's been uh, an absolute pleasure to fly with you, David. Uh, F.O. Craig, um, unbelievable to meet you as well. And Scott, um, uh, I really do wish you the best, and I think that you should go forward with every opportunity that we've discussed this evening. And the uh, the drink of the evening, Scott, do you want to tell them what the drink of the evening has been? It's a very watered-down, old-fashioned it's an old-fashioned, but not watered down at all. I didn't think so. So uh, if you ever come to the uh, wonderful establishment here in Baltimore, Balmer, as I've been corrected, Balmer, 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 I can't even say that as a Bostonian, Balmer, Merlin, if you ever come to this establishment, which I highly recommend, by the way, and I have four other people that have uh, attributed to the uh, or. Or not attributed. Well, that's probably the wrong word. Um, 
uh, attested to, that's the proper word that I was looking for, attested to the fact that the food here is fantastic, as well as the, uh, the liquid libations. Let me tell you what, it's an absolute pleasure to meet these gentlemen tonight. I wish them, uh, especially uh, um, uh, Scott and uh, F.O. Craig, uh, the best of luck. Uh, F.O. Craig is nice and young, and he's looking forward to a, a very nice future in the airline business. And uh, Scott is looking at uh, what he wants to do after retirement from the long uh, service he's had with the U.S. military, and thank you very much, Scott, for everything you've done for our wonderful country. And uh, we uh, actually, speaking of that, we had a first-class passenger today on our aircraft uh, walk up to our flight and said, "Is there any active military personnel on our aircraft?" And uh, quite, uh, I, was, I was really quite taken back by that. It was really, truly an honor to see a gentleman that it was sitting in first class, asked our flight attendant that, and flight attendant made the PA, anybody in the military that's active, please ring your flight attendant call button, and he then gave his seat up in first class to the active military member. So my hat's off to all those folks in the military that are active and or former military members and what they've done to protect our liberties and freedoms in this country, and my hat's off to Scott, who's sitting right to my right. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to hand it back off to Jeff. We're going to continue to have some fun here at the uh, La Scala Restaurante in uh, Balmer, Maryland. Merlin. I'm still trying to get that right. I can't. Anyways, back to you in the studio, Jeff. Thank you, and we'll see you later. Bye-bye. Here I am, back in the studio. <laughs> Well, I have I have a couple of the things I want to add to that uh, real quick. The FO was flying with twenty six years old made me feel old. I was old enough, to, really old enough to be his dad. Um, I've slowed down my speech there only because I want to try to pronunciate things better, and I'm working on that actually. Because I back with Balmore, Balmore, Maryland. Pronunciate. He was drinking up words. I was not actually. Actually, I had only that evening had two old fashions, and they, by the way, two, uh, two buckets of old fashioned. Yeah, no, not buckets. I can assure you that I was on overnight. I don't drink that heavy, <clears throat> but uh, I was told by by um, uh, David that that's the best old fashioned he'd ever had, and he'd had a lot of them. He said, and uh, that's about it. I thank Robert, David, Craig, and Scott for coming out. It was a great time. And speaking of seeing more people. Yeah, like you were talking to that uh, young gentleman, First Officer Craig, you know, young, young, and your young First Officer. Did you see any other young First Officers? Uh, As a matter of fact, great lead-in, because I happened to actually go out on, you know, we kept the airplane in Atlanta. No way. That doesn't ever happen. So I stepped out to meet up with an old-time friend of mine that is now flying Southwest. Um, and I, and, uh, he came over to the gate to see me cause he had some time on the ground. I was having a nice conversation and then by chance, somebody saw me and came over and said, hello. So go with it. Oh, okay. Let's find out who that might be. Okay. Hello, APG community. This is captain Dana here in Atlanta. Just arrived, just stepped off the aircraft and lo and behold, I bumped into somebody very famous that we all know and love and think that uh, think that he's a great guy and see him in his full uniform is unbelievable 
and uh, it's uh, I'm not going to really delay very much more here, and it's going to put him on so he can introduce himself. He's standing here smiling and glowing and ready to go. So here we go. Hey, everybody. It's uh, First Officer uh, Stephen. I uh, just uh, commuted in from Chicago, and I was walking down to the plane train and saw this really good-looking fellow at the gate and thought I'd walk up and say hey to him, and lo and behold, it's uh, Captain Dana. Yeah. Tell us how you're doing. Yeah, um, so I just uh, came from Chicago, uh, got done with working some stand-ups up there, and then um, got some time off before Christmas. Unfortunately, I uh, have to uh, be on call Christmas Day and the day after Christmas, but that's part of being a new guy. Other than that, the flying's good. Um, finished my 700 OE a couple days ago, and uh, still getting used to the differences between 200 and 700. But other than that, doing great. So, Steve, are you really enjoying and making this big leap that you've made over to becoming a pilot? You know, I don't think it was to this morning. I was in South Bend where I, the survey company I used to work was based out of. I was pulled in front of the hangar. I was like, you know, I'm so glad I'm sitting in a jet now and then flying this survey plane around. And it's been a great experience, the training, uh, the just flying a jet around and then coming out of the big airports and everybody else. It's a great experience. I'm loving it. Awesome. What about the advice, the same advice that we give to all of our listeners about the fact that, you know, being a, a career changer and, and uh, whether you should do it or not? I, I mean, you know, if you've followed along, you know, I went from uh, having a great job with the power company here in Georgia to making minimum wage flying survey to now uh, being a first officer for a regional airline. Um, it's not easy, um, but if, you know, you want to do it and have the determination to do it, you're going to succeed and you'll be able to accomplish your dream. So it's all worth it, it's fair to say. Absolutely, absolutely. It's all worth it. Well, Merry Christmas to you, Stephen. It's great to see you, buddy. Great seeing you in uniform. Congratulations for making the big jump. Hey, back to you, Jeff, in the studio. Bye-bye. Watch out for the card. <laughs> it was getting awfully close there, wasn't it? It, it was, was getting real close. <laughs> I was getting very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Those electric cards. <laughs> yeah, Dangerous. I tell you what, they'll run you over with that in a heartbeat. <laughs> That's how I'm going to die, probably before I retire. It's getting run over by run one over of those electric cards. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. The funny if I do, after- would you please do me a favor? Would you put my casket on the, one of those carts? <laughs> yeah. It's a nasty right. way to go, Jeff. It takes about five minutes for them to drive over you and for, to kill you. And then so, back up again. Yeah. And, 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 then it, and then it ends with an electrical shock. <laughs> <laughs> but low voltage, like it takes ages to die. And the thing still keeps going. <laughs> well, that's what eventually kills you. It's the noise. The, the yeah, ones in Atlanta have we all have that to look forward to. So I, I love the ambience. I didn't actually have a microphone. I'd use my just use my iPhone. That just yeah, it actually sounded pretty good. And then the next mm-hmm. thing I know, the passenger that was standing next to us wanted to know if I was going to interview him. <laughs> Why didn't you interview? Him? I would have interviewed that person. No, who are you? I would have totally done that. Like, yeah, well, you're next, I, buddy. Let's go. I had already stopped the recording and need to get down and do some work before I got in trouble. So next time. But uh, anyways, you know, amazingly enough, I've had a busy week. Mm-hmm. It was very busy because I put it out there, and I'm going to put something out there in January because I've got some uh, another uh, great overnights coming up in January, including I think three in Philadelphia. Jeff. Um, <clears throat> anyways, uh, had uh, I put it out there that I had a uh, meetup or anybody was willing to come out and meet me in Savannah. So why don't you roll with that one, Jeff? Okay, here we go. G community, this is Captain Dana here in the wonderful city of Savannah, Georgia. 
I have uh, had uh, a nice day of flying. Flew from uh, Pensacola, Florida via Atlanta, which I had the uh, unique opportunity to bump into Stephen Ivey, which you at this point will either, either have heard the recording or will be hearing the recording. And then uh, flew over here to Savannah, and the weather's just been fantastic. Fortunately, I put out a notification to see if anybody was willing to come out and meet up with me and had uh, had Eric go ahead and reach out to me and say, hey, I'd love to come meet up with you. So we just came from a fantastic place called the uh, Sorry Charlie's. It's an uh, oyster bar here in the Savannah area. Anyways, uh, what I'd like to do is hand the microphone over to Eric because I know you guys love hearing my voice all the time, but more importantly, let's hear from our listeners. And Eric is going to uh, introduce himself and tell him a little bit about himself, and then if at the end I can think of some questions to ask him, we'll do that as well. So here it is. Eric, here you go. Okay, Eric. Talk in the microphone. Eric. Hello, APG community. Uh, Eric here. I've been uh, flying for about uh, 13 years off and on. Um, spent the better part of 20 years in the, in the United States Army. And uh, this year was, uh, was fortunate enough to be able to go into a partnership with, in a 1967 Mooney M20F. And uh, have been flying that for about 40 hours now since June. And... Uh, it's pretty nice being able to get out and fly around the southeast United States. All right, Eric, you're telling me about some of your adventures that you've been on flying, and uh, you showed me a really nice picture of Mount Fuji, right? And uh, Mount Fuji and some really nice uh, pictures of uh, 4172s that have uh, some exterior art on them. I can't even describe how awesome they looked. But why don't you tell me a little bit about your flying experience in the uh, in the Tokyo area. So prior to uh, moving to Savannah, Georgia, uh, I was stationed in Japan uh, just outside of Tokyo and was fortunate enough to be a member of the Aero Club at Yokota Air Base. And uh, the club has four Cessna 172s, uh, some of them were former Air Force trainers and then a couple 172 Mike models. Uh, but they all have a, uh, a, some type of samurai uh, livery on, on, on them. And uh, so they each had different meanings. Uh, but it was pretty awesome um, being right outside Tokyo and uh, used to take uh, used to take friends and whatnot up and, and fly over fly over downtown Tokyo and and uh, VFR flying over there is is much much like it is here in the United States and as long as you're staying out of Bravo airspace uh, you're pretty much good to go um, and I tell you that uh, Mount Fuji from the air uh, is definitely uh, gives you a whole nother perspective on on uh, on life, really, it gives you something else to reflect upon. Seeing something so beautiful majestic, and very majestic, yes. Um, so yeah, Tokyo is great. Awesome, Eric. Well, you know, f behalf of the EPG community, thank you for coming out and meeting me today. I really enjoyed our conversation and uh, a little bit of banter about flying, of course. 
you've been listening. You told me you've been listening to APG now f- since uh, 2016, was it? Right around 2016. And uh, certainly appreciate uh, you listening to the show and taking the time to uh, listen to all the rhetoric we have and at least be 50% right, I hope. I'm going to sign off from Savannah. I'm going to go ahead and send it back to Jeff in the studio. Thank you, Eric, for coming on out today. It was enjoyable. And here you go, Jeff. We'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye. And thank you for joining us today on the Captain Dana Show. <laughs> hey, and it's time for us to break. He's got to make up for lost time. Yeah, and, 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 and not only that, but it's, uh, you know, uh, when have I ever done any, any of this interview stuff? Ever, barely yeah. ever. All in one show. That's that's He's, beautiful. <laughs> you got it out of your system. Have, have, have a good time. We'll see you next time. <laughs> and with that, Dana resigns from no, just kidding. That took up all Sit. three hours of the show. So <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> just sorry. Kidding. No, just some some folks in the chat room were making comments like that. So I just Oh, they're I'd so rude, aren't they? Uh, they are. Very mm. shame on you. Want to give everybody their fair chance to be in the show. Of course, you, that's right. No, you didn't have to play it all this week either. Yeah, that was uh, actually great stuff. I'm glad that you recorded it all. It was nice to hear from uh, the all the folks up at Baltimore, uh, Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> um, and right, you're so sounding drunk. The uh, Baltimore Maryland mm, contingent of listeners. Yeah, good luck in saying that. And with hello, I mean, come out of the closet, the hello. Please tell me what it really sounds like. I couldn't say it. To I say think Jeff knocked him out earlier. <laughs> oh, I forgot. Jeff is here. <laughs> I'm just too busy laughing and on mute, just at all the stuff that's going on. Well. Since you're talking right now, why don't we just segue right into what has been happening with you, um, Captain Colonel Jeff? Not a whole lot. I, I go out on the trip. Uh, I get up uh, around 2.45 in the morning tomorrow to go out on a four-day trip, get back uh, to Kennedy about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, Christmas Eve, which is good because it gets me home in time for uh, – not for dinner because dinner's going to be a mess. Um but uh, I sing in a choir, as Jeff knows, and uh, we're doing the service that night. And I got to be at the church around eight o'clock or seven o'clock. So I'll be home in time for that and uh, be able to do my part and uh, hopefully not break any windows. <laughs> and then uh, then I'm off till the first. I go out uh, late in the day on New Year's Day. And then eventually I end up in Atlanta at the end of January. So maybe get to do something yeah. else. Well, that's Hopefully. funny. I'm going to be in philadelphia the end of january darn it <laughs> well depends which day at the end of january we'll talk about it off there yeah yeah maybe we'll have some sort of uh meet up with some of the atlanta folks at t- toward the end of the month all right um let's see captain nick i believe you're the only one well i have a couple little things to say as well but captain nick why don't we hear from you how have you been sir well, I've nothing to say, but uh, I am going to give my time to the honourable member uh, from uh, Maine, if you'll bear with me for a second. Henry Close was an amazing man. He's responsible for so many things we've taken for granted over the years, yet most of us never heard his name. I'm pretty sure Nev knows who I'm talking about. Wouldn't surprise me if Hamish T. Haggis knows who he is, too. The old pilot may have heard of him, and maybe Captain Jeff. Want a hint? Have you ever heard of the acoustic research brand of speakers? How about KLH? 
Henry Close was the founder of acoustic research and was the K in KLH. He created the acoustic suspension loudspeaker and arguably the first high fidelity cassette deck. Now I could go on and on about Henry Close and many of the products he developed, but the one I want to talk about with you today is the Advent loudspeaker. They made two models. They may have had model numbers, but anyone who bought or sold them referred to them as a large or small Advent. Their acoustic suspension design was created to bring the listener an accurate, uncolored sound. They weren't the most efficient speaker, but when paired with the right receiver and inputs, it was hard to get better audio from anything else. They also weren't very expensive for the time and gave you a great bang for your buck. The Advent Corporation had a short lifespan, about a decade or two. Their speakers, though, could last about forever. And even though by the early 1980s, they were no longer made, many people still have them and they work and sound as wonderful now as they did then. For years, every time I heard the word Advent, all that came to mind were those wonderful Advent speakers. These days, however, another thing comes to mind. Remember Wings Over Pittsburgh? It was an amazing air show put together single-handedly by Captain Rick Bell. Okay. So maybe he had some help, but as far as I'm concerned, it was Captain Rick's show. And what a show it was. There was a C-130 flight demonstration team, the U.S. Air Force Thunderbirds, an F-22, P-51, F-86, B-52, E-175, F-35. I could go on and on. It was also a three, maybe four podcast meetup. The airline pilot guy was there, of course, but also PTUK. And the airplane geeks. No, not just me and Brian, but Max Flight and David Vanderhoof, too. And, of course, there was the late Drone Mama from the UAV Digest. There were so many highlights to that weekend. I got to pick up Matt Smith at the airport after his first ever solo flight, which also happened to be his longest time spent in an airplane to this day. I was also there to pick up Carlos and Adrian Meacham. There was a chance to visit with Pasadena Brian again. And to not only again share an ice cream, but share a microphone with Captain Al. And sitting in the hotel courtyard next to lovely Liz Piper while taking part in a live APG episode and plane spotting at the same time? Well, how much better can it get? There's another highlight, however, that comes to mind when I think back on Wings Over Pittsburgh. It was very special, a bit personal, but one that I'll share with you today. One pertinent to this little story. You see, on Sunday morning at Wings Over Pittsburgh, I went to Mass with Captain Jeff. No, silly, I didn't convert to Catholicism, and no, I wasn't struck by lightning either. I made sure I was standing very close to Jeff on the way into the church just to make sure I wouldn't get hit. You see, as far as I know, God doesn't care for collateral damage if he can help it. But when Jeff told me he was trying to figure a way to get to Mass on Sunday, I thought to myself, gee, Jeff goes to Mass on his own all the time. Why not give him some company if he wants it? So I told him that if he wanted company and was okay with it, I'd drive him and come along. Anyway, we went to Mass together, and we learned a lot from one another. I hadn't been to a Catholic service since a midnight Mass I attended while still in high school. It's a long story, but I was with a bunch of friends. We had been drinking a little bit. Okay, drinking a lot. And rather than take me home first, they took me along to Mass. You should have seen the looks I got. Other than that, I don't remember much of it. I remember much more of this Sunday Mass, though. I was able to compare and contrast the similarities and differences between Catholic and Jewish services. 
I think Jeff was shocked when he heard me recite Our Father. It's not from a Jewish service, but we said it every day in school up until I hit the second grade. Even I was surprised I remembered it. And as I said it, I got to really think about it for the first time and realize there's nothing really sacrilegious in it for me. Maybe it's a bit sideways for Judaism, but not in a bad way. After Mass, while driving back to the hotel, Jeff and I talked a lot about our experience, about religion, and about religious philosophies. It was a rather unique and special conversation. We've talked about it a few times since when we've had a chance to visit. These were very special conversations that I don't think either of us could explain to someone else. Yet I think it's still something that can be shared with you here, like this. Anyway, so where is this going? Well, these days, when I hear the word Advent, I still think of Henry Close and those marvelous acoustic suspension speakers of his. But I also think of that time at Mass with Jeff at Wings Over Pittsburgh. I think about this time of year in the Catholic Church and the Advent. But also, I think of Captain Jeff, not just because of the time he took me to Mass, but because his birthday comes right after the Advent on December 26th. Happy birthday, Captain Jeff. Although I know it's a big year for you, I won't say what year it is, but congratulations. You're the same age as my brother, and although we're not brothers by blood, we certainly are family in other ways. Thanks for being you. Oh, and thanks for keeping me from getting struck by lightning back in Pittsburgh. For the Airline Pilot Guy podcast here in Portland, Maine, happy birthday, Captain Jeff, from your main man, Micah. Happy birthday, Captain Jeff. Happy, birthday, quite Jeff. Happy birthday, Jeff. Yay. Happy birthday. It's not Happy my birthday. birthday. <laughs> no, it's not your birthday. Yeah, we know that. I still have six days to go. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Nick and I just both wish we were as young as you. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, you know, thanks for, yeah, Micah, for bringing that up. Uh, my, my age. I, I guess you're a Christmas month. present, are you? A Christmas baby. Uh, yeah, a little bit uh, belated by a day. Yeah. My mom thought that uh, they had gone to a party, a Christmas party the day before, and uh, she had eaten a lot of different things. And, you know, she was ob obviously very pregnant. And she, I think some chili, she ate some chili or something. And she thought that she was having indigestion or something the next day. And then when I was born, of course, everybody had indigestion. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, I was a, I was a little bit early. I think they were expecting me sometime in January, and uh, but well, I Jeff, came. I didn't miss the holiday. I'm a twin, and we oh. were born on Labor Day. Oh, how <laughs> appropriate! Perfect. Yeah. Oh, very good. Yes. Oh, yes, that explains a lot that. now. Now, now that I know you're a Virgo, Jeff. Well, occasionally my birthday falls on the Memorial Day holiday weekend, but I was a couple weeks late, so they were. My mom was ready to get that over with for sure. <laughs> so you're at some time, what, May? May, yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Happy birthday, I mean, Jeff. Well, thank you. We might actually do we'll another show. We'll see it again show. next week, too, because it probably will still be. Yeah, I'm thinking we might be actually closer next, next show. <laughs> I don't know when we're going to do the next show, but we'll see. Uh, but, uh, thank you very much for the kind words, Micah. Always good to hear from you. And, uh, well, he's been a feature on, uh, a couple of our shows now. Just a few. Yeah. yeah. 
Absolutely. No, it was a, a nice, lovely piece of audio. Yeah. And uh, in in Micah's defence, I uh, I did edit that just a tiny bit. So uh, I hope it uh, it um, doesn't upset you, Micah, because just needed to cut a tiny bit out. It, but um, so uh, uh, there you go. Well, that's why it didn't make any sense. Sorry, Michael. You butchered <laughs> it up. No, 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 no. no I did a... the bit that did make sense. <laughs> no, it, it actually, it was, uh, and thank you for, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a good time. Great memory um, in Pittsburgh. And uh, yeah, so, wow. It just shows you how, how great everybody is here in this community that we have. And uh, uh, thank you very much for the birthday wishes. And uh, thanks for reminding me that I'll be 60 next Woo. Hey, mate, that's easy you wait till you get to 70 oh i hope i make it to 70 you're not there yet either so. yeah no 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 but it's creeping up on me yeah he's still waiting like me all right wow okay well so that means only five more years of you in front of me in seniority yes that's what it means Dana. you can check one more off the list there dana you were supposed to have pushed him in front of that bus dana well, well you know, it's just a seniority cards. number in the concourse is what you're supposed to. Have yes. In front, in, in front of the cat that, that goes beep, beep. So, you know what? It's going to be every time I hear that beeping noise of an electric card, it's going to be like the Jaws music. <laughs> dun, dun, you have to just make sure Dana is not anywhere around yes, you. We're going to run out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So when I was originally hired 30 years ago, by the way, uh, well, you know, this, I uh, celebrated my 30th anniversary. We talked about it on the last show. Thank you again, everybody for the, very nice wishes. Um, yeah, I was going to, I was going to retire, uh, this month, uh, because at that time, uh, the retirement mandatory retirement age was 60 and now it's 65. So good thing because I, I still need to make money for the next five years to replenish savings spent on my kids college education, which was definitely worth it for sure. Um, anyway, <laughs> absolutely. Do I sound sincere? Nicely said, Jeff. Thank you. Yes. Okay, good. I should probably not say anything else. Um, but, uh, wow. Okay. Anything else going on, Nick? Good thing people can't see facial expressions on podcasts. Yeah. Well, if they yeah, look at the video, they'll see, you all, see it all. Yeah, yeah. And I got over. Uh, I just got over my uh, my little stomach upsets, uh, so I lost my last trip. Uh, they didn't give me another one, so I'm off now till January. So oh, nothing to do but wear stupid pullovers uh, and try and get a drink through part of my drinks cabinet. You know, let's see, see let's see can. that sweater because I think it also lights up. And we apologize to anyone watching the video who suffers from epilepsy because <laughs> it's, you might be in trouble. <laughs> In fact, if you suffer from epilepsy, wait. don't go back and watch the video. There's okay, a lot wait, of flashing lights. Nick, say something is. so we can it's hear. Oh. Now. oh, look Yay. at that. Nice. Now that is an ugly sweater. <laughs> oh, well done. On. It's lovely. You win the ugly sweater. Great. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, it's a mad dog sweater for those on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what is hanging from your microphone there, too? Is that like some sort of attempt at mistletoe? Spit. Of red testicles. <laughs> <laughs> I instantly regret asking. I was afraid to ask I earlier, Steph. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. the same thing. Uh, they're little uh, robins. Little rob robin red breath. Oh, I can see the birds. Okay. Oh, yes. Steph, haven't you learned by now? Uh, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to apologize. My bad. Yeah. So much okay. So much for her I, being good HR. I, I think we've all, we, we have lost control already. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
All downhill from here, folks. Yes. And I might have to that go ahead and get a drink far. to enjoy this a little more. No, it doesn't. Uh, we're not very, I haven't, I haven't climbed very high, so there's no very far. <laughs> True. True. Well, um, just quickly, uh, last episode when uh, we were, I was re- in Baltimore, Baltimore, uh, with uh, Hillel. Merlin. Uh, yeah, Merlin. Uh, recording the uh, episode 353 uh, right after that we uh, left there walked several blocks up to the what was it called fire station number 16 or something like that fire station 16 does that sound right anyway it was a um, uh, a brew pub and we met up with uh, Brian and his son Ethan and um, Brian is a, a lifelong friend I think they no, have known each other since preschool or something ridiculous. And uh, so we met them up there at the uh, fire station, had a great uh, dinner and some great beer and great conversation. And uh, Brian uh, gave me, um, he works uh, as a, a, what do you call that? Promotional products kind of stuff. Uh, Crown Trophy is the company that he owns. And he made a couple of um, coasters. I didn't bring them with me, but uh, air, you know, like the airline pilot guy square logo that you see on the, on the podcast, uh, he had uh, a couple of uh, coasters made up, which is really nice. And so thank you very much, Brian, for that. Very uh, nice to meet you and your son. Very sharp young man. And uh, let's see. So I just wanted to mention that and acknowledge that. And, oh, we received some, um, some stuff in the APG PO box. And now I don't know if you all can see the uh, intro notes uh, crew, uh, yep. but in yeah. The yep. uh, box. Uh, this is this is from a gentleman that Dana and I met up with uh, last year. Well, earlier this year, actually. I keep thinking it's already 2019. I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Um, I don't remember exactly when it was. Dana, do you? Uh, was it like in the spring or something or before? I don't know. I don't know exactly when it was. You know, it was. Uh, it was it one was of the last trips that you had as a first it, officer. It was. It was April. I think it was either end of March or beginning of. April yeah, in the spring. because okay. you were my third to last. Okay. Yeah. So Austin Nesca um, yes. is the uh, gentleman who sent us the uh, nice little goodies box into our APG PO box. And he sent in a note and well, I need to uh, make this bigger so I can see it. That's what she said. That's what she said. Uh, let's see here. Uh, maybe I should do it over here so I can actually look at it. Um, the note that he sent in with our goodies goes as follows. Oh, here we go. I have to press this button. APG crew, sorry for the late delivery of these CVN 77 souvenirs. Additionally, please find the attached keychain luggage tags. My wife makes these out of recycled military flight suits and genuine leather. Air Force wings for Captain Jeff, and I'd rather be flying for the rest of the crew. Thanks for all of the entertainment and encouragement. And he goes on to say, I start at um, an airline. I guess we can say what it is. Southwest in March. And he said, Acme, not Northeast. Yeah, it's kind of hard. Uh, maybe we'll come up with something different. Maybe Acme Heart. Uh, and could not be more excited. So, yay! Congratulations. Congratulations. Um, so he made his transition from the military career to his uh, start of a great 
I'm sure, airline career ahead. And uh, he finishes up with saying, I hope you have a great holiday season. Sincerely, Austin Nazca. And then he had to put in parentheses like we couldn't remember who the who this guy is. The aircraft carrier guy from Norfolk, Virginia. And so in that box was a couple of really, really nice ball caps. And they have the USS George H.W. Bush, which is the aircraft carrier to which he was assigned. And uh, has a it's a nicely embroidered uh, aircraft carrier and some jets uh, with uh, red, white, and blue smoke. And so CVN-77 and some nice scrambled eggs on the uh, bill of the uh, caps. And then, as he mentioned, the, uh, the luggage tags that uh, his wife makes from flight suits, which is really cool. And uh, so I get the one that's the uh, silver wings from the Air Force, and you all get the rest. And uh, thank you I'm very assuming much, that. Austin. Pardon? I said thank you to Austin. Oh, thank you, very Austin. Nice and uh, you know, no, I didn't forget forget about you, Austin. I was really thinking of you a lot recently with the the cap the uh, passing of George H. W. Bush and uh, the photograph that we took on the uh, on the uh, carrier deck with his statue. In the time that we got to spend with you. So, no, you were not forgotten at all, Austin. Thank you very much for that experience. Yeah, we had a great time. That, that was, was awesome. uh, fantastic. You're a, uh, such a nice guy. And I'm so happy. We're so happy for you starting your career in the airline. So, uh, that's just awesome. And again, thank you for the wonderful gifts. And uh, I'm actually sad he's not coming to Acme. Yeah, me too. Uh, I don't know why he decided to go. I don't, you know, who knows? We'll talk with him sometime. Hopefully. Have a beer or two and, and see. Uh, What's up with that? But uh, maybe he just a, wanted to fly on Boeing. So every yeah. once in a while, I fly on Acme Heart. So maybe I'll yeah. see it from time to time. Austin. That's why he did it. He wanted to yeah. see Steph as much as possible. That's right. <laughs> and who could blame him? Okay, uh, let's just, see. I think just before we move on, yeah. uh, I got. Oh, do I have by, another surprise? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I got distracted by uh, having to uh, do Mike's uh, audio yeah. there, and I f- completely forgot the one thing I was going to tell you about, which is uh, I got a message from one of my uh, fine flying buddies, uh, Johan. Now, Johan is uh, going up for his uh, captain's course uh, very shortly, so uh, good luck with that, Johan. But uh, he also instructs um, for a an outfit in um, Scandinavia, Scandahuvia, uh, as I like to say. Um, so he, he did mention that he's got a lot of uh, Turkish airline cadets uh, who he's working with. And uh, one of them started talking about being a fan of APG. Now, I had no idea that we had a fan base amongst the uh, Turkish uh, recruited recruits uh, who are trying to become airline pilots. Um, and uh, Johan was able to show uh, him a picture we took together uh, um, on one of his trips. Um, and uh, apparently they all listened to the show during uh, their training and they would love to have a shout out on the next uh, show. And uh, Johan's four guys in particular will listen. And uh, there's a lovely guy called uh, Baris Osno, uh, Osno, probably. I'm not quite sure the correct Turkish pronunciation for that. So my apologies. He's the biggest fan, but apparently he says you've got hundreds of uh, Turkish uh, cadets and uh, trainee pilots listening. Uh, and um, I think it's fantastic. So they're all out in Stockholm. 
uh, at uh, CA training out there. And I just want to do a quick shout out for them. I wish them the very best. Uh, good luck in their training. Uh, and um, thanks very much, Steve, for Johan for getting in touch. And uh, I've only got a few months left with uh, Acme uh, Red, but I would love to get a chance to fly with uh, him again. But he's going up for his command training, so it may not happen either way, but it'd be very sad. But anyway, great to hear we've got listeners uh, out uh, amongst the Turkish flying community. And thank you very much indeed, guys. I must and- have misunderstood what you said. You said hundreds? Well, that's, that's, what, uh, that's what the Turkish cadets said. Wow. Yep. Apparently, you said... Um, Boris Osner, he's the biggest fan. You've got hundreds of uh, t- uh, guys listening, wow. and uh, you are the favorite. Uh, the reason I cut that short was because I didn't want to uh, say that. Oh, but you, you got that in. Favorite. I saw you slide you, that Well, in. I, you, only because you insisted. Uh, I'm sure you're their favorite, really. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't anyway. send it to me. They sent no. it to you. So. Well, hey, a big shout out to all of you guys and the uh, the, the Turkish cadets and, and all of you. Thank you uh, so much for listening to the show. And here's a round of applause for you. Brilliant. 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 Thank you very much indeed. And thanks, Jason. Good luck with your command training, mate. Love you. Yes, good luck. Let us know how that goes. All right. Would it be time for the coffee fund? I think so. We've finally arrived. Yeah. An hour. I know. It's sorry, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Oops. Standard. Uh, Yeah. Not quite. It's a little bit longer than normal. It's a lot longer. Yeah. That's all my fault. Blame Dana. Blame Jeff. That's what she said. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. Wish you a Merry Christmas. Wish you a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. The Coffee Fund is your way to support the show financially if you have the financial resources to do so. And since the last episode, we have, using the Classic Fund method, Terry Liu and Chris Randall. And the other way to do it is to become a patron of the show via patreon.com. And we have a new producer, Vitor Parito. Hope I pronounced your name right. And uh, if you want to find out how you can become part of the Coffee Fund Cadre, please head over to the awesome site um, Arash Manages, and it's the AirlinePilotGuy.com website, AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee is the way you find out more about the Coffee Fund. Thank you very much for all of your great contributions, and we hope uh, to have some more people join us. And now, time for the news. Stand by for news. Did you see this? This just happened, I think, last night and going on ongoing today at uh, the second busiest airport in England, Gatwick. Apparently, 
I'm not sure if I understand exactly what's happening over there or if anybody really does. Uh, uh, some drones have been causing havoc. I guess I need to play the drone sound, don't I? Here it is. Yes, they sound just like this. Oh, this is the wrong one. doesn't have the... I just need to ask my house cleaners to start vacuuming in the hallway right now. It would sound exactly like a drone. Take, the va- take your microphone out there. Right outside my door right now. <laughs> yeah, they so heard we'll just Jeff pretend that's talking drone. about it. Pardon? They heard you starting to talk about it. That's why they cranked it up. Yeah. So um, what what's happening over there? Captain Nick, um, I know you're not right next door to Gatwick, but you're close by. Can you tell us about what's uh, what's happening over there? Well, we've been getting reports on the news oh, wait, all listen, day. Can you hear it? Oh, they've flown over there. Oh, oh no, Steph, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> it's the drones. They've come for me. All right, carry on, Nick. Sorry. <laughs> So uh, it it you know happened a couple of days ago, and they pitched up in the evening um, on Wednesday. It was so actually it was only yesterday, um, and two drones were sighted near uh, the airfield. Um, and uh, of course, uh, with the danger that drones present to aircraft, uh, they had to uh, stop any activity on the airfield. So effectively, they shut it. Now the two drones hung around over the airfield. Uh, and uh, they they flew away, but then came back again, uh, and repeated that uh, during the last uh, sort of twenty four to thirty six hours. Uh, the police have been trying to find the drone operators. Um, there have been a number of drones over the airfield. Um, uh, the airfield has intermittently uh, closed, tried to open, but the, the drones have reappeared, so they've closed again. In the meantime, of course, every time the drones go over, because this appears to be a coordinated and malicious um, a- a activity, uh, they, of course, they have to sweep uh, the airfield when these drones have been overhead in case they've dropped something uh that uh, might prove to be dangerous to aircraft so there the the police and uh, the military here are taking it very seriously um it may possibly um be excuse me um possibly terrorist uh, associated but no one said that but that's what everyone i think is thinking um but i suspect personally it's uh, one of the organizations that is trying to disrupt uh activity at the airfield uh for as a protest but they you know we haven't found out uh, no one seemed to have claimed responsibility for these actions either that or some idiots um so they've been uh, they've been persisting over the airfield and effectively closed there've been a lot of diversions uh, very few movements out of the airfield um, so aircraft have been going all over the country. Uh, and of course it's an incredibly busy time of the year. So, uh, an awful lot of flights, flights have, uh, been affected. Um, and, uh, in the meantime, everyone's running why they can't just shoot these damn things down. Uh, so, cause they've got armed police and the army, uh, uh are present. So, uh, you know, that everyone's going, well, what countermeasures can you use against these things? Well, to be truthful you can't just fire guns at them because every bullet that misses is gonna go up and come back down somewhere and there's always the possibility no matter how remote that it might hit somebody uh and uh you don't want that to happen obviously so uh um yeah i don't know what do you do when someone maliciously and deliberately flies a drone over an airfield with the idea of shutting down the airfield and disrupting activity 
what do you think? Do you think uh, just your feeling um, is the uh, uh, is is this really just some folks that are just playing around and just trying to cause havoc? I was thinking, aren't aren't they having some kind of? Well, no, that's Heathrow that's going to make the next the big the third runway. I was wondering, yeah, if it was but, like one of those. Yeah, but Gatwick are trying to uh, expand as well, and there are a fair number of uh, um, people who are. Um, complaining about just general air activity, the numbers uh, of flights, and uh, they want to cut down on our, you know, uh, contribution towards greenhouse gases, etc. So there are organizations out there that just want to s- limit or stop flying. I mean, if if it's not that group, they're probably looking at all this, going, "Ooh, wow, we should have thought of this." Exactly. That's a very good point because now it started and people realize how effective it is because, of course, uh, just in case these uh, drones are are armed in some sort, perhaps with explosive or, um, you know, you you could just got to use your imagination as to what uh, um, dangers they might present if they're being maliciously flown, Uh, then, uh, you know, or, you know, if, if one were to hit an aircraft, it, you know, it could be. Uh, really dangerous. Um, there, there are laws specifically to prevent people from flying close to an airfield, and the maximum penalty is five years in jail. But already the prime minister has stood up and said that they're going to re-examine uh, those penalties, um, possibly to oh, well, obviously to consider increasing them. Um, in the meantime, of course, uh, you wonder how you're going to stop them. Now, I, I know there are a number of devices out there, which uh, I, I seem to remember that uh, the Dutch had some uh, birds of prey that could yeah. bring down a drone. Uh, the Japanese had uh, anti-drone drones, so drones you fly onto drones, uh, and there are uh, devices you can fire from the ground which deploy nets to entangle um, and uh, I've even seen I know, a, a, like a torch, like a what like a flamethrower uh, thing uh, that they yeah, use to yeah, clear stuff right. off of power Absolutely. lines and stuff. Yeah. It depends, of course, how high they uh, they fly them. And of course, you can use um, a radio technology. You can jam the signals uh, and possibly even cook the electronics in them if you have a strong enough uh, RF signal or other type of uh, radio device you could fire at them. But all the airport needed to have had these in place beforehand, really, because now we've had two or three days of disruption, or will have by the time it's all over. And I'm uh, amazed and at the number of passengers that have been affected by this. This is just oh, causing big, havoc. Even though it's only got one, effectively one active runway, it's an incredibly busy airport, uh, Gatwick. Um, so yeah, I know it's uh, it's a huge number, and of course, as soon as people stop moving, then uh, the airport and it comes to a standstill. The airport just fills up with people, and it fills up very quickly. So yeah. it's been an absolute nightmare for the traveling public. Wasn't um, it Gatwick that had the people who uh, chained themselves on a runway a couple of years ago? Yeah, Gatwick and Heathrow. Uh, the the general tactic at Heathrow was to you know, block the tunnels that lead into the terminals because the you, the only access really for passengers to get to the terminals is to go through one of the two <coughs> tunnels under one of the runways, uh, and they simultaneously managed to block all the tunnels uh, by just putting vehicles, and they chained themselves to the vehicles, so you couldn't move the vehicles. So there have been a number of things. But yes, uh, and also in London City, protesters have gained access to the actual airfield and, uh, you know, um, positioned themselves on the runway. So there are a number of tactics. Now, if if this is those people, 
those previous tactics haven't had a very um, severe penalty, but this one is pretty severe. So uh, I'm just wondering you know, if the police find them, uh, what they're going to do. Now, they've been trying to track them, and they've shown on the news some of the devices they use uh, using sort of RFDF uh, equipment. Now, whether that works or not, they can actually find them, but they've got a lot of police units out now looking. And uh, But I suspect having done the damage, they will probably disappear. But it is, uh, you know, uh, a worry. Uh, the, these things are a danger, uh, and they, these people are going to be hard to find. And just to be clear, we're uh, recording on Thursday, the 20th of December, and uh, you said it's the, the airport is still shut down, correct? Well, when I left uh, the sitting room to come and just watch the news uh, yeah. to come and, and do the program, yes, it was. Although they were saying it might open within the next half hour. But whether it's actually opened or not, I don't know. Um, perhaps the chat room can give us the latest. So why are they so concerned about these drones flying around airports? I mean, I mean, they can't really do much damage to an airplane, can they? Well, we know that they can penetrate uh, uh, the skin of an aircraft, and uh, we know that there's recently been an incident where uh, a suspected drone impact has gone straight through the radome of an aircraft. That's not. Do been... we really, though? Come on. Yeah. Do I mean... we? Uh, do we know that's a drone? No, we don't. But uh, it's suspected, and we know that uh, trials have been done where they fired drones uh, at sort of reasonable speeds at aircraft. Um, windshields and to, to measure how much they penetrate. But that's not the point. If if it's someone flying a drone who's like a kid and he's got a lightweight drone, then you think to yourself, well, it wouldn't do too much damage. But, of course, if this is done being done maliciously, it's what people might put on the drones that uh, if this if this is terrorist related or someone who's trying to create a big impact, they might have actually put something on the drone. So if it did strike an aircraft, there might be explosive attached or might be, you know, some other way well, even, of creating even a bigger impact. If, um, you know, it impacts the wrong part of the aircraft. Think about the difference in closing speeds there. And the amount of damage that could cause, say, to an engine, perhaps, if it was ingested in an, an engine. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't want one down one of my engines. And, you know, uh, a good chance it would uh, it would damage or destroy the engine. So, you know, it it is a significant risk. Do, do you hear? I hear another drone. Really? You do. Yeah. I think it's What's just that cleaners. <laughs> oh, it could be. Oh, they, they just stopped. They'll probably start again. Which so, would be good ambiance for this next story, I think. Yes. So we'll just launch into that because a ways away from from Gatwick in uh, Tijuana, Mexico. Um, this was a story from December 14th. So just a few days ago, um, a 737 passenger jet purportedly slant, uh, slams into drone during landing. So a Boeing 737 passenger jet reportedly struck a drone while landing in Tijuana, Mexico, causing a considerable amount of damage, uh, specifically to the nose. Uh, so Nick was talking about damage to the radome, and there are some pictures here in this article of a 737 with a significant amount of damage to the nose slash radome of the aircraft. Um, social media reports of the incident, uh, which, by the way, were confirmed by the uh, airline Grupo Aeromexico. Uh, say that flight 773 from Guadalajara was approaching the airport when the crew heard, quote, a very strong blow, end quote, to the aircraft. Local reports are stating that it was a drone that caused the impact. 
The pilots requested assistance from air traffic control and were able to land safely without injuries. Um, the exact cause is still being investigated, Aeromexico says in a, in a statement. The aircraft landed normally and the passenger's safety was never compromised. Uh, however, photos that have emerged show a significantly large dent punched into the front of the airplane. Uh, there's some tweets in Spanish, which I will not read. However, um, they go on to talk about incidents involving airliners and drones becoming more and more common and frequent as years have gone by. So there you have it. Excellent. Yeah. So that certainly does look like, I mean, I've, we've seen bird strikes and hail strikes hitting radomes and doing a lot of damage, but the damage on these photos definitely looks like some, yeah, something that's a, more. That's a lot of damage to a 7-3 nose. Yeah. And it, of, it doesn't, look, I mean, it's certainly not, we've all seen hail damage. We've all seen bird strike damage. This does not appear to be any of those things. This no, hail damage, you probably see more damage with a ha with hail, just sure. uh, widespread, not just the one big impact like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what concerns me is, I mean, did any of that stuff go down the the left side of the airplane towards the engine? It certainly looks like it went that direction. Yeah. Yeah. They'd be easy to tell if it was a drone. They're bound to be a bit left inside. There's the got to be something surely. inside there. Yeah. I haven't, I've been looking and I haven't seen the articles, you know, they, they say it's a drone, but that's still, everything kind of says it's speculation. Uh, I haven't seen anything that definitively says it was yet. Well, I remember we did do a story not that long ago, uh, Jeff, where a, a drone, uh, sorry, a radome collapsed in flight and everyone right. thought it might've been a drone, but it turned out to be just uh, a failure of the structure of the radome that caused it to collapse. Yeah. This and looks that could much be the more case mechanical. Here. Well, could be, but it does look a little bit more like the edges are more rough. Uh, looks a little bit more mechanical in nature, I would say, in terms of yeah. the damage. It looks drone shaped to me. <laughs> it's just going to come right and out and say it. <laughs> if you get close enough, you can actually hear this. Yeah, it's still there inside, beating yourself to death. Yes. <laughs> anyway, well. You know, let's stay with the same theme here. You know, all, not all drone stories are bad. Why don't we do this next story that is actually good news involving drones? Dana? Yep, here we go. <clears throat> oh, my computer overloaded. Sorry. Uh, anyways, a baby on a small Pacific island has become the first person to give a vaccine delivered by a common uh, commercial drone. UNICEF arranged for the drone to be flown some uh, 40 kilometers, about 25 miles, across rugged mountains in Vanuatu in, that otherwise take hours to cross. About 20% of children in Vanuatu, did I say, am I saying that right? Vanuatu. Vanuatu. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. and I, I, I apologize for the Vanuatu people. Don't receive important vaccinations because the supply is too difficult. The UN Children Organization hopes that drone delivery will, in the future, be of vital importance in the remote areas. Today's small flight by drone is by, it should say by a drone, is a big leap of for global health. UNICEF Executive Director Henrietta Four said, or Foray said, with the world still struggling to immunize the hardest to reach children, drone technologies can be a game changer for uh, bridging that last mile to reach every child. Yeah, so we've seen. So this is a great um, instance of uh, drones, you know, being used in a in a very good way. We've seen um, what life um, 
lifeguards and or AEDs. Know. They've talked about delivering yeah. AEDs to you know locations where someone's having a heart attack or cardiac right. arrest. Um, I think all of the healthcare stuff is a very positive use of drones, provided that it's done in a professional way and with um, some regulations in place to make sure that it's safe. The operation right. is safe and not interfering with other commercial traffic. Yeah. So we're not anti-drone here, just to be clear. We uh, just, you know, if you're going to use a drone, make sure you know all the rules. Don't fly them near airports like Gatwick. Anyway. Yeah. I I have two drones, but I don't fly them around And you're a responsible drone owner. (laughs) Yeah. I was having some fun flying them. Oh, hang on a minute. Where? where, (laughs) Oh, okay. Perhaps I better not say anymore. (laughs) (laughs) yeah do you know where your drones are anyway is somebody uh just knocking on the door hang on a minute (laughs) (laughs) the distinctive knock of the police no (laughs) the battering bang 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 (laughs) it was once described to me as the distinctive knock of the police Ah. (laughs) we knew nick before he was serving his prison sentence that's right um no, my, my, I have a couple of small drones, and I don't think even if I wanted to, I could manage to fly them that high because I would crash them before it ever happened. Um, I fly them in the house and crash them into the walls here. No wonder you have the cleaners there. Good, good safe fun. <laughs> okay. I'm not um, a good drone pilot, for those who are wondering. <sighs> um, we have a, kind of a somebody here that's sort of an expert on uh, the hawker hunter do we not haven't you uh, flown that nick yeah i uh, i've got a few hours on the hunter yeah lovely airplane item b the uh a private red air adversary simulator aircraft crashes within sight of shore uh an atac what does that stand for again i had it here airborne tactical advantage company a private contract adversary hawker hunter crashed off the coast of honolulu hawaii shortly after takeoff from honolulu airport close to joint base pearl harbor hickam at around 225 local time on wednesday uh, po- photos posted on twitter showed the pilot ejecting from the aircraft just offshore according to local news media or a local news media outlet hawaii news now the pilot was a 47-year-old civilian contractor flying for ATAC. Some reports describe the pilot of the aircraft as a Hawaii Air National Guard civilian contractor. And then later, later in the story, they talk about uh, this 47-year-old pilot uh, civilian contractor who flew uh, in the Navy. He flew the F-18. And um, let's see, what else? Uh, I'm trying to find that part of the story, but I can't. Um, let's see. Oh. Uh, I think I found it. Uh, this is the second article where um, uh, they kind of uh, have him in the hospital uh, reuniting with the gentleman that helped save him. Apparently, uh, when he ejected from the plane and hit the water at a pretty high rate of speed, even though he did have a parachute, um, apparently um there wasn't a lot of time to slow his momentum down before he hit the water and he ended up uh, crushing his vertebrae and having a spinal fracture. Yeah. Um, he, his name is, um, Potier, I think is the way you pronounce his last name, Matt Potier. And, uh, he said that he was so happy that this other guy, this gentleman who was out there was a parasailer 
uh, saw him go down and swam over to rescue him before he drowned because, uh, you know, his back was injured. And uh, this gentleman's name is trying to find it. Sorry. Mac Ladner. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I should, the parasailor? I yeah, the parasailor. Yes. Sailor, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so there's a nice picture of the two of them in the hospital room with uh, pilot Matt Potier and uh, the parasailor Mac Ladner um, together. And uh, so, you know, it was it was sad that the uh, it doesn't really talk about why the uh, the Hawker ended up crashing. Uh, it was a Mark 58 Hawker Hunter single seat, single engine tactical fighter. And I was kind of surprised that they uh, still had an active ejection seat because don't a lot of those ejection seat equipped airplanes, when they're put into civilian use, they end up a lot of times um, deactivating the ejection seat? I think it depends on the regulatory authority. Uh, but personally, uh, I think on an aircraft like that, you'd have to keep it active because it's uh, there's no real and simple way to manually bail out. And the, you'd have to completely redesign the cockpit because the thing you sit on is an ejector seat. So, And uh, I guess you could take the gun out, but no one would be uh, very happy about flying an airplane without an ejector seat, even if it's a hunter. Um, yeah. The uh, Mark 58 is uh, an Air Force Mark VI, uh, so it's the equivalent, and I flew the Mark VI quite a few times, and the Mark 58 was sold to uh, a foreign air forces, uh, for example, the Swiss. They, they flew them for quite a while. So I have a feeling it might be uh, ex-Swiss. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a lovely um, sort of heritage aircraft, uh, fabulous-looking machine, uh, great fun to fly. Um, but, you know, it's an old machine, so you know, and they're not perfect. Uh, you've got one engine. Uh, um, so, you know, if you've got an engine problem, there's little you can do other than step over the side. So, and, and I'm not surprised he had crashed vertebrae. That's an incredibly common injury, uh, following an ejection, particularly on these earlier seats where the only way of, uh, powering the seat out of the aircraft was by the telescopic gun that fires and it's about 20 g's that it'll subject your back to. So, uh, compression fractures of your back are, uh, it's very yeah. rare not to have them. Well, I would yeah. say even if it didn't happen there, hitting if he landed in the water, hitting the water from a height can do yep. it too. Yeah, yeah, that's a, you know I didn't even think that uh, the ejection seat itself was the culprit in his. Oh, that usually that is. Fracture. That might make more sense actually. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's often the same, um, and uh, of course uh, there are a number of pilots uh, in the past who have successfully ejected, arrived in the water, and then uh, drowned under their parachutes. It's common to get trapped under your parachute. The technique you're taught is to uh, find one of the lines which leads from the center of the parachute. That's in just mimicking what you do now. So you find a line, you just pull it over your head until you get to the edge of the parachute, uh, and then uh, you're in free air. But even then, your efforts to stay afloat can be easily uh, uh, stymied by the fact that all the rigging lines get caught in your legs. And unless you've uh, got your uh, life vest inflated, and all ours in the later years, when I was in the Air Force, were self-inflating. So unless you had one of those, uh, he, he would be in dire straits. Uh, it would be very difficult. So yeah. very nice that this bloke was, was there to help him. Yeah, especially if you're injured. You know, I know um, 
skydiving training for um, licenses here in the U.S. beyond just the basic license involve water training, so you know how to get out from underneath the canopy in the water. Um, but it's a whole different story if you're injured on top of being in the water with a canopy over your head. So it's good that they have some of those self the handsome yeah. captains. The and handsome re- Captain Jeff there. Did you go through uh, water survival training? Oh, yeah. Down at I was going to say, both Jeff and I have the experience of learning how to, uh, when Nick was describing, you know, getting underneath the uh, canopy. And, and, and Nick, mm-hmm. I think you probably had these when you were still on active duty. The uh, our, uh, Well, you said your life preservers were water activated, so were ours, but actually the disconnects on your shoulders were actually water activated too. They were seawater. Uh, it was called the Koch fasteners. Yeah, the Coke fasteners would disconnect automatically after a few no, seconds in water. We never had those. In fact, our, our air force was so suspicious of those fasteners, we actually had safety pins in them to prevent them from being easily opened. So not only did you, when you hit the water, to get free of your parachute, not only did you have to lift and separate the the coach, the cock fasteners, you had to first pull out these little pit pins. And then you could release. Oh, you're them. kidding! No, half absolutely. an hour later, you're out. Wow! Yeah, well, exactly. We once I had hope an you can incident. Hold your breath for a long period. Yeah. Of time. We once had an incident where a uh, a fastener was suspected of accidentally coming free, and uh, you know, or having received a blow during ejection. And uh, after that, uh, they said, "No, no, these are, these things are too dangerous. Uh, we can't get rid of them, but uh, you're going to have to have extra safety devices fitted to them." So, it, for us, it was a bit of a nightmare. In the parachute descent, we would have to find these two pit pins, pull them out, and then when we hit the water, we'd lift up the little guards and then pull them to free them as we uh, basically our feet hit the water. That was because yeah, even I mean, I would I flew in torrential downpours walking out to the airplane in Singapore and in the Philippines and even in Okinawa. And we never had an issue with that. It took a lot of water to get those things to disengage. Well, we never had those those water activated things fitted. So ours was a purely mechanical failure. uh, Yeah, we were taught to try to beat them. I mean, they just, but, uh, you know, and as far as the ejection seat, these these civilian companies who are flying these uh, older jet fighters, they have everything from kefirs to F4s to A4s, F5s, and I didn't know they had the Hunters. Uh, yeah, they're all authorized to have the active ejection seats because it's really, like Nick was saying, it's the only really way, safe way to fly the airplane because there's no other way to get out. I mean, it was a big sense. deal in the F-15 if the ejection seat did not fire and how to get out of the airplane because you this, the parachute is physically part of the seat. You don't wear it. You oh. connect to it. It's in the seat. And you land in the water with the seat and everything. Still oh no, you can't. No, no, there's only one airplane that can land in the seat. Something. That was a, the OV-10. You could actually land with a full parachute still sitting in the seat. Okay, but most of them not the case. No, you have to have seat separation to get the okay. chute. Gotcha. Hmm. Well, hey, this guy was no slacker. Uh, as I mentioned, he was a retired U.S. Navy F-18 pilot. I finally found the paragraph. Uh, he has more than four thousand two hundred hours in tactical aircraft and more than one hundred combat missions. So. Obviously, this guy knows a thing or two about, you know, flying high-performance fighter aircraft. So, I uh, hope that he that he heals and he'll be able to fly again with that injury. Would you say that that would be a possibility? Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, abs- it, it, absolutely. They are common. There okay. was a there was an F four back seater who actually uh, ejected twice, oh, and uh, the second time he ejected over the Gulf of Mexico, uh, and uh, when he got out of the helicopter, he was doing jumping jacks. Because the first time he ejected, it hurt his back, and he always had back 
problems after that. And after the sex and ejection, it fixed his back. Before the first ejection, he was six feet tall. And uh, now after two, he's only he's five, five six. feet tall. Yeah. Yeah, five, <laughs> yeah, actually, that's very true, Jeff. You lose about an inch and a half uh, huh. in an ejection because of the compression of the spine. Wow. Okay. Well, anything else to say regarding that? No, shame to lose another hunter, though. They're great airplanes. That is a shame. Um, Speaking of a shame, uh, item C, uh, is it Taban or Taban? Uh, uh, Taban Air, uh, Iranian airline, uh, flying the uh, the good old McDonnell Douglas MD-88. I was kind of surprised. I thought that Acme was the only one that flies the 88, but apparently not. Um, Registration Echo Papa Tango Bravo Charlie performing flight 6225 from Mashhad to Karaj in Iran with 150 passengers and seven crew was being vectored for an approach to Karaj's runway 30. Tehran Merabad approach had provided vectors to the intermediate fix when the crew reported the runway in sight. <laughs> the danger of visual approaches here. Not so and re- fast. <laughs> requested a visual approach. And were cleared for a visual approach. The crew, however, had identified another private aerodrome, the Fought Aerodrome, short of Courage, and were on approach to their runway 31 left when the crew decided to go around due to being too high for the approach. I'm the sorry, Jeff, what was the name of that airfield? Fought. <laughs> Fought? Uh, really? I don't know. Uh, oh, wait, wait Dana, how, how's that pronounced? Fought. That <laughs> there's no R in there. Well, that's that, why that it's actually perfectly, you know, the pronunciation appropriate to perfect. put the R in there. Yeah, I mean, Fast. there's no there's no R in Wa- Washington either, but I hear people say Washington. Washington. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Foth. Foth. Okay. Well, there's no the H is that's on the, H-T, the not first T-H, part of it. Steph. Yeah. Wait. Okay. Where is it's it spelled fought. differently? Well, I, I'm looking at F A H T. Are you seeing it in another place? Where it oh, says I saw F A T H. Yeah, oh, they probably seen pronounce it oh. later on. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess they're hedging their bets here. The people that wrote this, <laughs> they're not really sure. Okay. Well, whatever. It's it, the the aerodrome that begins with F, okay. which was not the correct aerodrome. And uh, as I said in the thing here, um, do not. Or they they decided to go around because they were a little bit too high. And uh, then they uh, went back and tried it again to the same wrong airport when they realized that we're at the wrong aerodrome and initiated to go around from a very low height. And they put in parentheses here, lowest point about one meter above the ground. <laughs> so That's three feet. For those yes, it's very low. <laughs> 39 inches. Land. Yeah. yeah, the aircraft climbed out position for a correct approach and finally landed on Karaj's runway 30. And again, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly either, but we'll, you know, anybody from Iran listening, let us know. <laughs> um, anyway, Iran's uh, CAO have opened an investigation into the occurrence rated a serious incident. And the uh, Karaj Airport, also known as Payam International, is located about 23.8 nautical miles west of Tehran and uh, about five and a half miles uh, or the wrong airport that they were looking at is five and a half nautical miles short of Karaj's runway three zero. No wonder they got a bit high on the approach. Yeah, <laughs> and not only that, but look how Oops. how long is the runway? So the one they were trying to land on, I mean, I'm um, supposed so, to land on. Yeah, supposed to land on twelve thousand feet, mm-hmm. and, and 
Fought or Fought, uh, there that runway is how long, Steph? Thirty-three hundred feet, a thousand meters. That's short. A little so bit that's different. A little bit different. <laughs> Even if you're on a three-degree glide path, it probably still looked like you were high. Thirty-three hundred <laughs> feet is short for some folks. In, I mean, not you for know, you maybe, but that's normal for general aviation. Yeah, not for not for, but air, not for anything air. else. Yeah, about wow. the only corporate airplane I could think of that that would actually be uh, a satisfactory runway would be a Citation. Yeah, like a, one of the uh, one of the earlier uh, the the straight wing. Yeah, citations. straight wing and the yeah. straight wing citations that would actually be just fine. Yeah, huh? That's about okay. it, though. Um, let's see. And I believe the last item in the news folder would be E, or that's at least what I'm looking at. Uh, the incident of Bolivia seven thirty seven five hundred at Kiev. On December 9th, 2018, damaged runway lights and oh, I can't read the whole title here and right engine cowl on landing. Uh, this is from the Aviation Herald, uh, Abalavia Boeing 737-500, registration Echo Whiskey 290 Papa Alpha, performing flight 845 from Minsk in Belarus to Kiev, Ukraine, landed on Kiev's runway 18 left. At 18.08 local time and taxi to the apron. A post-flight inspection showed a dent in the right engine inlet. Substantial damage too, as well as grass embedded in the right-hand engine cowl. Um, Jeff, have you ever done a post-flight walk around and seen this kind of damage on your right uh, uh, no. engine? <laughs> Thank uh, goodness. Hang on, hang on. I mean, the Jeff, 737 is a little lower to the ground. You fly 737s. It must happen all the time. I mean, <laughs> no, but, I mean, I mean it shouldn't be in the grass. It shouldn't be in the grass. Oh, and by the way, can I just bring us back up to 50%? It's Belarus. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I'm sorry. What did I say? I don't know. Not I don't know. Belarus, something Belarus, with an R in it. Okay. Well, Sorry. We've, we've invented a new... Uh, <laughs> I'll fix it in post. <laughs> called the 737. Uh, oh, shut up. <laughs> I can't get it all right. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, so anyway, uh, the aircraft was unable to depart for the return flight. What a and, surprise. Had an yeah. engine full of grass. And, and a runway light, apparently, as well. Well, that too, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the one picture looks like there's snow in it, in the in the uh, damage to the underside of the cowling. Hmm. Well, it's Belarus. Yeah, so it's, I imagine yeah. it's kind of snowy there. Yeah. Hmm. It's. So, uh, I mean, he must. Uh, he he had to hit off the runway. I think they were just a little bit to the, the right to get the engine pod that low. Yeah. They're like two feet off the ground. I think he had to work really hard to do that, don't you, Jeff? I mean, <laughs> I think he was a little bit right of center line. Maybe a little bit too much crosswind correction. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Best I can think of. Those runways are slippery. Yeah, yeah. definitely. When it left, the winds were, um, what? I'm trying to read this. Uh, uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to scroll down here. It looks like, where is it for the one? Fog. Oh, it was. Uh, Four meters per second. There were, It was bad visibility. They had, uh, they were doing RVRs, I think. Um 550 and 400 would that be meters i guess uh, yeah and fe fg fog that's cat yeah. one 450 yeah. meters uh, 550 normally okay well 550 on the second one there four uh 400 on the first one yeah yeah 
and vertical visibility. Uh, so the, the, they can't measure the cloud base, but they're only seeing 200 feet vertically. Yep. Not a nice day. So, so three or four meters per second equates to how many knots? I, that's completely yeah. It's foreign to foreign me. To it's me. math and public. I don't do double that. Double it. Double it. So, okay. Yeah, so, so it's not eight, a lot of wind. It's double it or half it. I can never remember. <laughs> it's pretty, either eight knots or two knots. Either way, it's not very yeah. much. No. But okay. it's you know pretty much right down the runway. You know, twenty yeah. degrees off. I think yeah. so. That's you know it wasn't yeah. a big crosswind. So I mean, hmm. yeah. Even if it's an eight knot, it's only four knots of crosswind. Yeah. So, hmm, just who mis- knows what it is. Yeah. the term. Yeah. That's it. Okay. Lined up on the, uh, oh, you know what? We had one at Acme uh, landing in, was it Columbus, I think, or Dayton? I, I always get the two confused. Somewhere sorry. in Ohio. Somewhere in Ohio, mid-Ohio. Oh, somebody's offended. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> you offended one listener. I know, for sure. Sorry, Jen. Um, but uh, they came in, and it was a low-visibility approach, and uh, the this runway didn't have centerline lights. Mm. And they were thinking that they were lining up on the centerline lights, but they Not. were lining up on the right edge lights of Oops. the runway. And uh, so perhaps that was a situation that occurred here. I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's a possibility. I said the airplane pulled up to the gate with all kinds of grass and mud and everything else in the uh, in the right main landing gear. It was kind of a mess. Oh, and uh, just in case anyone really wants to know, you double meters per second to get knots. There okay, we go. so eight. Still, yeah, not a lot. No. Eight knots. Hmm. Yeah, so well, you got to be careful. I reckon they ran into a few of those uh, orange um, you know, uh, uh, obstruction markers. Because they nearly hit that one that's in front of the engine, didn't they? Uh, yeah, I know. That orange cone? <laughs> yeah, those cones. No chance that's it was what... placed there after they stopped. <laughs> no chance no, at no. all. I don't know. I can imagine that if you took out a runway light or something and it was slushy, wet ground, you could knock some of that grass up into the engine as well. Potentially. Because yeah. yeah. the thing is, I, I would have to go back and look at the numbers, but I'm pretty sure to hit that engine the bottom of the engine like that on the ground yeah he'd have hit the wingtip first hmm. oh really he's in that much bank i think you're all missing no, no, the fact I, that this guy were, probably just cut the turn wrong what if they were what if they were just lined up way yeah too i think far they were just the lined up i don't think they had a lot of bank i think they just yeah. were not. well we did we had an airplane down in the, the caribbean he's on the yellow line taxi and clear the runway uh this was in an a300 and next thing you know, he's up to the axles in the mud on the yellow line for the corner. So it could have been, like Steph said, it could have just been taxiing in and he got the corner too close. That's exactly what I think this is, is that it, it was just, he just ran cut it the off, corner. cut the corner and ran it off into the mud and, and he got a taxiway, uh, you know, light because the damage on this would indicate only probably one, maybe I mean, two at the most. Yeah, I. it's not. Well, I don't know. Look at the bottom of that engine they sell there, but oh, that's because it probably sca- scraped on the con the concrete. Yeah. Well, who knows? They don't mention anything about the gear being all covered in mud. Yeah. No, it had to have sunk in the mud, or or if it's on the unhardened portion of the pavement, he could have sunk through the pavement, but he'd still have like debris on the uh, the truck for the wheels. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, to me, it almost looks like, and I, I could be completely wrong here, they just took out uh, lighting on the side and at the same time kicked up a bunch of 
if it was raining and it looks like it's, you know, wet surface, there was some clearly some snow in the vicinity, um, kick up some of that grass and dirt and mud at the same time. Could be. Well, I know several years ago in Boston, uh, several about five years ago now in Boston, it was the, the snow drifts were so big where they plowed the taxiways that if you didn't square the corners, you were dragging a pod through the uh, the snow. If you even thought about taking a corner even close to being not square, it was mm. it was that deep. All I know on my airplane, I don't have to worry about that. Nope. <laughs> the engines are way up there. Yeah, if if you're dragging the engines through the <laughs> mud and, and hitting taxiway yes. lights with the engine, you get some major problems. <laughs> you're probably inverted. Yeah. Um, Turn the aircraft. I wonder if it's going at 180 degrees. <laughs> you know, since Belarus does get so much snow, I wonder if their uh, uh, side lights on the taxiways are elevated. Could be. They might be. Yeah. You, you know, know like when you go through. Um, I don't know anyone who's had the pleasure of driving through mountain passes. You get some of those stakes on the side of the road just to show you where the edge of the road markers are. And they're buried. Yeah. <laughs> and they're also buried. Yes. That's all. We always say that uh, it's a bad sign when you fly into airports um, that we fly into, at least domestically here, where they have those like little sticks sticking way up because you know that they probably get a lot of snow and they have to know where the edge the of the edges. runway is and where the mm-hmm. lights are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, not a good thing. Not anywhere I want to travel, really. No. no. Unless you're going to go snow skiing. For skiing, yes. Any yep. other reason? Or conferences. Conferences. Okay. Um, I think it's now time for us to head on over to that uh, that uh, feedback folder that we have. Let's do this. Captain. Incoming message. All right. Let's start with, believe it or not, number one, John sent us a, uh, some feedback and he said uh, some comic relief from YouTube. And I'm thinking, what? This must be some kind of a comedy routine. So he sent us a YouTube link and it I'm is going hysterical. It's hysterical, but it, um, it, it's presented as a serious thing. And I think we're going to talk about this uh I think the person that actually came up with the thing did not do this as a spoof. No, I don't think so either. As far as I can tell. So let me, I'll just play a little bit of it. Don't worry. I'm not going to play the whole thing. In fact, I don't have permission to play this, you know, from YouTube. So I'm just going to play a little excerpt. Nice sound effect. A Space Busters production 2018. Used without permission. Greetings, fellow air travelers. This video is for everyone who has ever bought an airline ticket. I'm going to make this video as short as possible, but the large amount of information included will inevitably dictate the length, so please bear with me. Hopefully at the end of this video I will have convinced you that there is a deception going on right in front of your eyes. This affects every person that has ever travelled on a modern day airliner. If you're not convinced, then I hope that this information will have planted a little seed of thought that you can use later on when something else related comes to light. Okay, I'm going to stop it right there because I just don't want to get in trouble from YouTube. And this thing this that he wants to plant, this, this little seed he wants to plant in your mind, is the fact that uh, jet engines are uh, well. Airlines are claiming that uh, you know fifty percent of the price of the ticket is due to the cost of aviation fuel, and 
this video tries to prove that there is absolutely no way that these airplanes could possibly hold what we say that it can hold in uh, fuel volume and weight. And they go on to show uh, fuel trucks, like 16 fuel trucks mounted on each wing of a 380 uh, Airbus yeah, A380. No wonder there's no room for fuel, actually, because all the elephants on the wing. And the elephants, <laughs> yes. How many? Yeah. Uh, like 16 on each side? Yeah, or how are you going to get any fuel in with all those elephants? That's <laughs> so stupid. And, uh, and Does this person uh, know anything about geometry? <laughs> no. Apparently okay. not. Fair enough. Apparently not. And I mean, apparently I'm not doesn't... good at geometry either, but <laughs> I think I could reason my way through it. But apparently he doesn't understand the fact that uh, not every bit of fuel on the Airbus A380 is carried in the wings. They also have fuselage other, tanks. Yeah. Other, and other tail tanks. tanks. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, the, and yeah, uh, well, we all know that, that this whole thing. The, the bottom line is the, uh, the video tries to prove that really we don't need fuel at all. Uh, it's all air. That's mm. how these things, these That's engines are running. That's how airplanes fly, just air. Yeah, just air. Magic air. <laughs> yeah. Well, they so, do blow quite a bit of air, but he's full of hot air, apparently. Yes, he is. Um, yeah. So John says, uh, it's funny because it's so bad. Yeah. We agree, is. John. Yeah. I think. So yeah, it's worth dear, a watch, though. But yeah, please, really. Uh, it's yeah. like 13 something minutes long, 13, mm -hmm. 14 minutes long. Take and I'm look. sure he'd appreciate some uh, email too. Commentary. <laughs> YouTube videos. Why the professor actually gets to turn in the first place? Mm -hmm. So, and I'm if, sure if if John was to actually drive his vehicle, is that run by air as well? Only of if course, it's Dana. Uh, of course. I mean, I'm just using his logic. Yeah. In reverse. Well, you, you just need to see his well, not, very... not John's logic. This, I mean, yeah. you, I'm sorry. I'm just looking at John's yeah. feedback. I, I don't know who this guy is. So I'm sorry. Yeah. John, I apologize, John. Group of people that uh, uh, probably put that together. It's a pr pretty professionally done thing. So, And you know what? Honestly, these some of these people may truly believe that this is what's happening, and it's uh, a hoax. And, and The world's uh, flat, too. So. Chemtrails. Chemtrails. Yeah, exactly. I'm pretty exactly. sure these are the same people who... Yes, Yes. Big right. proponents of chemtrails. Anyway, check it out. It'll be in the show notes if you want to want to see this. Just good luck with it. Um, let's see. I think we have time to do another piece of feedback before we get to our episode or installment of The Plane Tales. Um, the second one, Mike writes, Greetings, crew. I hope all is well and you are all ready for the holidays. Huh. Sorry. <laughs> I'm perfectly ready. I'm working. Perfect. Excuse me. Um, this stuff got a good laugh out of that one. Uh, this question may be more in Dana's wheelhouse since he is the expert CFI on the show. Uh, well, he's a sure. CFI. I'm not sure about the expert. Well, actually, you know, my renewal just completed. I, oh. I would assume that I'm more in are, The information is freshest in your mind. It is. Well, we look forward I to hearing more. Okay, continue. Uh, we, uh, yeah, we look forward to your analysis. Uh, I would like all of your opinions on this. When do you stop using the localizer and glide? So this is Mike Cochran, um, our friend mm -hmm. and uh, fellow, a longtime APG community member and who gave us those wonderful APG um, Yeti, um, I guess, what would These? you call those? Yeah. Yeah, those Yay! that Yay, I use Mike. the living crap out of. 
I love my Yeti. Thank you. Damn, Thank very you. cool, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So he says, uh, when do you stop using the localizer and glide slope when flying a precision approach? I fly with a few captains who have different techniques, and I have to remember to be a chameleon and apply their way of doing things when flying with them. Okay, so he says, captain number one. When the pilot monitoring calls the runway in sight, pilot flying looks up, calls the runway in sight, and lands. And further, you, well, it says insight and landing. Oh, maybe you I think say it's two words: insight, runway insight, runway insight, and landing. landing. That's yeah. my intent. Okay, that's the that's the call. Yeah, gotcha. Further, you can uh, use you you now can use the PAPI, the Precision Approach Path Indicator. Is that right? Correct. I I got those right. Ding. As thank you, I don't have it. Um, <laughs> as guidance <laughs> for the guy uh, for the glide path, <laughs> for the glide path. Or if there is no glide path indicator visible, just hold the runway aiming point on the appropriate spot on the windscreen and land the aircraft. Captain number two. When the pilot monitoring calls the runway in sight, the pilot flying must use the localizer and glide slope indicators until landing is assured. And then we'll use any outside references to land the aircraft. Note, the pilot will have to glance inside and outside in order to maintain the localizer and glide slope and to determine the point when landing is assured. Or maybe use the radio altimeter and just stay inside to determine when landing is assured? Question mark? I don't know. I asked him the definition of landing is assured. He stated that it was when a landing can be made on the runway with no engines run running. So basically within gliding distance. He said this is the only acceptable technique an examiner on a check ride would accept. I'm questioning this as I'm not able to find an official definition of landing is assured. Do you all know of one? Yeah. Okay. Let Number me read two that. Wrong. Yeah. Let, uh, well, but shall I think we, it's, shall we carry on and, and read the Yeah. Let me finish the whole thing because I think it's kind we'll of maybe a, a, a combination. We all have opinions on this yeah. and we'll start with Dana. Yeah. Okay. I'm still new, very new to this fixed wing business. You'll remember that uh, Mike was a helicopter or is a helicopter pilot as well on a cat one ILS at 200 feet radio altitude or 200 feet above the basically above the runway. Do you think your aircraft would be able to glide to the runway with both engines suddenly becoming in-op? I'm thinking it would come up short. I'm not trying to think exactly where my point of landing is assured. Uh, Dana might know, as he has experience on my aircraft, the Slotation, <laughs> the Citation uh, 550. I prefer Captain Number 1's technique. However, if I do this flying with Captain Number 2, he corrects me because the localizer and glide slope may be slightly off, even though the Pappy has two white lights and two red lights. I'm happy to conform to either technique as I believe they are both safe, but I just have to remember who I'm flying with. That's one of the hardest things about being a co-pilot is being the, the chameleon that Mike is talking about here. Uh, what technique do you all use? Any guidance that you all can provide will be greatly appreciated. Merry Christmas and happy feast of seven fishes, Mike. Oh, okay. gotta love the seven fishes. Yes, Dana, go ahead. Hey, Mike. You know, it, Captain Number Two brings up a, an important point, and that's uh, if you are flying VFR, right? Um, you are pretty much always want to be in a, in a position to be in a power off landing um, to the runway. Now, Captain Number Two is really referencing um, shooting an instrument approach. Well, if I'm shooting an instrument approach right down to minimums, and I'm in a single-engine airplane, 
then more than likely I could probably have a landing assured um, anytime once I get to minimums, 200 foot, you know, minimums. Not that I'd really recommend shooting approach to minimums in a single engine airplane at 200 feet in a single engine airplane. I've done it's that. It's kind a few of terrifying. Th- it is it. kind of terrifying. I have done it many times. There are many times that I took an airplane up doing that uh, only to increase my skills to get to the airline level. Um, so really, I, I really think the captain number two here uh, is probably not applying the turbojet um, realistic uh, application, which captain number one is, and that is that captain number one is correct, um, that when the runway is in sight, you basically want to, and what we teach is uh, you want to keep your scan going to transition to the outside environment from the inside environment. Now, what happens in, in, ten, in a tendency is that when we start doing that transition, if we focus outside too fast, we will tend to go high on the glide slope and, and land long on, on, on the touchdown zone and or possibly have to go around because we've you know lost complete situational awareness. So the best technique is to keep the scan going. Uh, and that is that is inside outside until you actually have the runway environment in sight. Uh, and that is, you know, the terminating bars at the end of the runway, the runway side lights, and hopefully some approach lights and or centerline lighting. So um, <clears throat> that's what the difference is here as far as I can tell in captain number one, num- captain number two. Captain number two being more of a, a VFR, uh, always keep that runway made. And I, I don't, I mean, we're, we're talking about a citation, uh, and, and that citation is still a turbojet aircraft and uh, on a glide path. Two engines. Two engines. Even if it's one engine, uh, you're going to make that runway no problem. If the engine fails, uh, you know, near 1,000 feet and coming down the glide path, okay, you change your your configuration of the aircraft, you go to the the recommended flap setting, and you land the aircraft. So that really doesn't make a a whole hell of a lot of beans. And I agree on the fact that you have to be a great chameleon. You have to have to... uh, um, understand the captain you're flying with. It sounds like you're in a small operation, so you know these guys, their girls, uh, don't take that the wrong way, um, probably pretty well and know their idiosyncrasies. Uh, landing assured. Um, yeah, is there an official definition of landing is assured? I've never. The, the only I definition so. I know of, or, and, and I don't know that's a definition, it's, it's more. It's aircraft more, specific. It's. Power well, off in, gliding distance to the runway. Exactly. So you have to know that for your aircraft. Exactly. Where I was going to go with that, Dr. Steph. If you're flying, and the only time I ever remember that is that if I'm flying a single engine mm-hmm. piston airplane, that I want to make sure that I, I, if I have an engine failure, that I'm going to keep the, the, the airplane within the confines of being able to make the runway in, in a sure landing. Yeah. Right. And in a engine if off. you're doing commercial training in a single engine aircraft, you practice that under VFR conditions doing power off 180s. So you have an idea of what your uh, power off gliding distance to the runway is if you lose your engine while you're in the pattern, basically. So a beam the you know, a beam the touchdown point. If you lose your engine there, you should know what your power off gliding distance is in a 180 turn back to the runway. Basically. Okay. Correct. But I, I mean, I don't think, I, I think Mike's right here. I think, you know, being the chameleon and I think in both cases, the captains are trying to say 
the same thing, but I agree with Dana. I think captain number one is the more correct one here. Um, but I don't think you're going to be wrong with captain number two either. You can keep doing your scan. You can keep monitoring what's going on with the glide slope, um, stay on that path, um, just transition to the outside environment when it's appropriate. Yeah. Use all the thing, all the, yeah. If you have all those tools at your disposal, use them. It's, and, it, and, it never hurts to increase your situational awareness. Right. And it really, as you've both alluded to, it really depends on the, uh, the meteorological conditions that you're flying under. I mean, if it, if you're flying this category one ILS approach and the visibility is like very close to minimums and the ceiling is very close to minimums, you break out like 600 feet or something. Fine. Use the Pappy. Like there's no problem. Because there, there are things that that um, that do uh, create uh, illusions um, mm -hmm. the, in certain weather conditions when you have uh, ceiling and visibility uh, restrictions. Uh, and there's a, I have this document that I'll put in the show notes as well uh, that was produced by uh, the Flight Safety Foundation. It's an approach and landing accident reduction toolkit. And it talks, uh, this particular section is um, a briefing note, uh, visual illusions. And it talks about all these different kinds of visual illusions, whether we're talking about restrictions to visibility, uh, you know, fog, that kind of thing. Or if, uh, if it's an upslope approaching the runway and you're coming in on a normal glide path, then you're going to get this illusion. And same thing if it's the opposite, if, you're, if it's a downslope coming to the runway or if the runway itself is sloping up or down then you have to dimensions kind of, of the runway talks exactly about. yeah small uh, narrower runways or shorter runways we even talked about that alluded to that earlier on another mm -hmm. piece of uh, news or feedback um so anyway it's stuff that you have to kind of you know know about and and uh try to prevent yourself from you know doing the wrong thing but if you have the pappy or a bassy you know a visual path indicator use it and also if you still have your ils dialed in which you should um it, it doesn't hurt to look back in and do kind of a do a, a cross check to make sure that you're not doing something you know I mean, here's just, here's my thing if you're if you're shooting an approach and you're expecting it to be down to minimums but the co-pilot you're flying with calls runway in sight and the visibility is good i think you use all the tools you have at your disposal and that includes looking in front of you yeah, and, absolutely. And, and, the, and the one other thing is, is you know, with, with us with Acme, we have training manuals that kind of define uh, how to how to shoot the approach, right? So I don't know if your company, Mike, uh, has that type of a standard operating procedures in which you can reference as to how they want you to shoot the approach, and uh, you know, it would really kind of put to to bed. Uh, what Captain One versus Captain Number Two? Who, in my opinion, Captain Number Two is is probably on the outskirts of wrong. I'm not going to mm -hmm. say completely wrong, but it's uh, not common or uh, standard um, uh, phraseology and or uh, way of doing it. Um, in in my experience, in, in, in whether that be in a, a small airplane or a turbojet airplane, um, when I say small airplane, single engine, and also. You know, some light twins also, uh, you know, I've never heard that term used. So, you know, if you have a standard operating procedure that, that the FAA has approved, then maybe, you know, reference that to if you ever want to uh, make sure what you're doing is the proper way that the operating certificate is based on as well. Uh, can I just yes. suggest of something? Course. I think uh, when you fly with captain number two, you should just let him see that you have a baseball bat 
in your flight. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a cricket bat too. No, that goes. Yeah, that to, would work. That like would be. But he, he may not recognise the handle of a cricket bat. So I don't think a baseball bat will. Well, work. that's his problem for Much never having better. seen spinal tap. Do, do you guys remember my FO briefing? Yes, yes, of course. Yes. That's... I already too well. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I think, think that's that uh, you're going to kill me on Nokia, we'll talk about it later. I think Captain Nick's advice is a little unorthodox. <laughs> so I'll just put a disclaimer out there. But no, seriously, guys, uh, 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 there was one question I have, and, and that's for you guys. Um, why is it so hard flying down the minimums in a single-engine airplane as opposed to an engine, multi-engine airplane? Well, if you lose that engine and you're flying down to minimums, you really, that's where that landing as assured piece becomes a lot more important. Um, I've definitely, a couple aircraft come to mind that are just flying bricks. You lose power, even if you're on the glide, the appropriate glide path and glide slope. Yeah, but if you're, you're in instrument make conditions, if you lose the engine at any point, you're in a pretty you're dire in, you're situation. In a bind. You're in a bind. It's not yeah. going to be, I mean, you're going to have to, do what you can to make the best of that situation. But there's nothing physically that makes that aircraft harder to fly. No, no, no it doesn't no, make no. it harder to fly. It's just okay. something more okay. to be aware yeah. of. That's you know, fine. you have to have in the back of your mind, if I lose an engine here, what is my course of action? What am I going to do? And generally, okay, it's continue flying, <laughs> continue well, flying straight. Continue flying straight. A handsome Captain Jeff knows exactly what I mean. <laughs> what, what do we say, Jeff? Uh, give it back to the taxpayers? Yes. Yeah. 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 Sure. So, Nick, to answer your question more, more seriously, uh, you know, as a, as a general aviation pilot, you, you don't fly a whole lot of instrument approaches, especially, you know, low approaches, you know, 1,000 foot, 500 foot ceilings. Quite I common. mean, I've, I've got pretty but, high minimums for what I'm willing to go out in intentionally. You know, well, the, the reason you have that is, is for those situations where it maybe wasn't forecast, wasn't predicted. Um, it, I never expect to find myself flying to minimums on purpose unless it's in a very specific training environment for the purposes of doing that training and hopefully with another pilot with me. So anyways, what I was continuing to say is that we we as general aviation pilots are not used to flying a three three degree glide slope and it's really more or less hanging on the prop so that's really what the difference is very much like what we do as commercial aviators we use power all the way down the glide slope and that's less conventional as a general aviation pilot because you you know when you're flying vfr you generally tend to keep the the aircraft on a uh, you know a little bit higher profile so that you, where you can keep the you know the airplane able to make the runway mm -hmm. when you're shooting an instrument approach you're at a much flatter pitch coming in because you're coming in on an ILS generally speaking and when you do you know if you lose power we're, we're, we're not used to hanging on the prop all the way down or hanging on the engine all the way down on, on a three degree glide slope that's one thing I, I think it depends on the aircraft that you're flying but generally true yes yeah so that, that means what what different are the aircraft? One of the things that I've noticed uh, when I've flown GA with with Fred, with Mike, with Steven. Does it seem high and fast? Every time we come into the pattern is like, holy crap, this looks like at least twice uh, as steep a glide path yeah. as what I'm used to seeing. And I finally asked, I think I asked um, Mike about that. And I said, "What? why is this so steep? And he mentioned the fact that you lose an engine in this thing and it's going to drop like a brick. Yeah. yeah. And especially low wing aircraft. So 
some higher wing aircraft like Cessnas are going to glide a little bit better. It just depends on the aircraft. Um, the the Diamond products, which are low wing aircraft, have a very good glide ratio. A lot of the Piper products do not, um, especially the um, the Arrow. That thing is a brick. Uh, and, and more um, so is power the, that, and you need to land immediately, basically. Pretty much, it's a flying brick, and like the, the Cherokee. The, the Hershey bar wing Cherokee. Yeah, any, any of the Hershey bar wings they, are they, definitely. They, they drop. They drop like a brick, and and basically the, uh, uh, um, oh my God, I'm having a brain fart of the name of the airplane, but it, it was known as as the uh, the one engine, you know, it's twin engine airplane, and it is 140 horse at each side. Basically, twin the other engine, engine yeah, um, Geronimo, a, a Geronimo. Oh. It, it would basically Geronimo. get you. Geronimo, <laughs> it would get you to the scene of the crash. That's all it would do if you were a single engine. So I want to fly an airplane with a Belgian chop, dark chocolate <laughs> wing. Thank you. I was going to say for our for, for our universal uh, audience, a Hershey bar is a chocolate bar here in the uh, United States, or basically a straight wing that is not very efficient. So yeah, in 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 Mike's aircraft, it's um, I know it's a. Uh, um, is it a musketeer? It's a yeah, musketeer. musketeer. Yes. Okay, that aircraft has terrible uh, glide distance on it as well. Yeah. That really surprised me. I just thought something like a GA airplane, you know, would, would have a much better glide ratio than nah, the airliners that we're flying. And nah. it's not the case at it's all. It's not the no. case. Yeah. A wing's a wing. It's just the basic design on it and and uh, how, how efficient it is at, at producing lift. It, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. A wing is a wing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Well... There's your basic bottom line. Tutorial. Yeah. A wing is a wing. A wing is a wing. It's out in all how it's designed. What it's and a plane tail is a plane tail, which means that it's now time. Oh, unless the good-looking Captain Jeff wanted to add anything to this discussion. What can I say? I have a HUD. <laughs> yeah, You're, go, go away. We don't want to talk to you about this. <laughs> a wing is a wing unless it's a prayer. Well, the <laughs> I have, you know, commercially, like as a, as a co-pilot, I could fly down to Cat One Men's. So I could get down to 200 feet, and if I only saw the rabbits, I could continue down to 100. Did they have funny ears? Yeah, <laughs> big funny ears. Um, I'm always looking for those <laughs> rabbits. I never <laughs> see them. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Don't bring that back. Oh, my gosh. All right. It's now time for this week's installment of the old pilot's plane tales. Control that in a hurry. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> The old pilot's plane tales, flown west. When I recently went for a Burton, a tale about the words we use in aviation, it appeared to tickle some of your fancies. So, since you enjoyed it so much, here's a little more. Some are a little more obscure and have fallen out of use, such as aeronaut. It literally means one who glides through the air, but mainly relating to doing so in an airship or balloon, or, to prevent more emails from Micah, an aerostat, rather than the method practised by Dr. Steph, who plummets, see what I did there, Stephanie Plummer, at terminal velocity, through the air, with grace, and a parachute. Aeronaut comes from Greek roots and is a combination of the word for air, aera, that's a, e with a squiggle over it, and an r, pronounced aera, and nautes, 
It was the French who put them together in the late 18th century to make aeronaut. Whilst the term pilot has gained a greater traction, aeronaut became the basis for the family of terms that we still use, such as aeronautics, aeronautical, and even astronaut. Forgive me again, Dr. Steph, and other modern pilots of the female gender, but whilst this next term has, quite correctly, fallen out of common use, it has its place in history and is found in many texts from the early years of flying. It comes from the combination of aviator from the French aviator, which itself comes from the Latin for bird, avis. I wonder if the car rental company knows that. Hmm, not sure if birds try harder really works for me. Plus the Latin etur, used to form agent nouns. For this word, the term aviat is given the Latin female ending rix, giving the word aviatrix. But I agree that its modern use is potentially offensive, properly obsolete, and aviatrices all over the world just need to be called pilots, or quite often captain. Two, twice, or double, in ancient Greek, is dis, but you pronounce it with a silent s, from where we get die, without an x, which can prefix many words. If you saw two Captain Jeffs, I guess you could shout, die, Captain Jeff, but that might be open to misinterpretation. So how come we have a biplane and not a diplane? Ah, if only the Greeks and the Romans had got their feces into a mound. Bi has the same meaning, but it's of Latin origin. Back to the word in hand, add di to the ancient Greek word for the face of a geometrical solid, and you have the word for an angle between two plane surfaces, which in aeronautics, yep, we've just been there, refers to the slope of an aircraft's wing, specifically the upward slope, known as dihedral. The opposite type of slope, i.e. downward, is known as pause to allow you to shout at your loudspeaker or, more embarrassingly, apparently shout at some innocent passing stranger because you have earphones in, anhedral. Here, an is likely to come from a Middle English alteration of the Old English un, from the Latin in, or the Greek an, all of which mean no, and are used in relation to the Latin prefix anti, meaning against. Whatever, I've always loved the words dihedral and anhedral as their use really separates those with a casual interest in aviation from those who have spent some time in study. But can we remember the aerodynamics behind the use of dihedral? You should know that it gives lateral stability to a design, but how? Well, when an aircraft is disturbed in roll by the standard central flying school puff of wind, it will start to sideslip towards the lower wing which means that the relative airflow now arrives at a slight angle. When wings have dihedral, this angled airflow meets the lower wing at an increased angle of attack wing compared with the higher wing, which gives it more lift and corrects the disturbance. 
Some aircraft don't want increased stability as they get enough from other features such as wing sweep or a high-mounted wing, so anhedral is introduced to improve roll rates and control response. Enough of that, let's move on to a terminal situation. I often wonder how wise it was to bring into everyday aviation parlance a term which is so often used when describing the end of something, particularly life. You have a terminal disease. This condition is terminal. If you touch those 1,000 volt terminals, the result could be terminal. Here we have to thank the Proto-Indo-Europeans for the word term for boundary and ter, meaning to pass through. Both the Greeks and the Romans used it in terma for goal and termon for border, as well as trans for through, across or over, and possibly I enter or I go into. There's even a bit of Sanskrit in there, tar, to overcome. Whatever, it's the French who decided that we would start and end our aviation adventures at a terminal. The word was already in use for the railways, but you would have thought they might have used something more pleasant, like gateway to heaven. Hmm, perhaps not. How about pleasure portal? Hmm, I'll think on that a bit. Pitch is something we do when we pull our noses up. Hang on, shouldn't that be a sneer? Oh no, I mean our aircraft's noses, and it describes movement around the lateral axis. It also describes throwing, tossing, casting, a playing field, selling, or promoting something. The gap between the teeth of a saw, gear, or printing letters. The angle of a roof, a place where a busker works, a section of rock face between belays or stances, or the limits of ground set to a miner who gets her share of ore. Not forgetting that pitch is also a sticky sap from a tree, the dark viscous distillation of crude oil, and a degree of darkness, or blackness. Our pitch comes from the nautical term, which describes the motion of a boat, and also includes roll, yaw, and heave, which also doubles as a bout of antiperistalsis. Pitch originates with the Middle English pitchin, an assimilated variant of the word picken from a similar Old English word, all of which come from Proto-Germanic, but can also be found in Old Norse and Swedish. We can, of course, pitch up or down, but what happens if we pitch up into a loop? When inverted, are we still pitching up, or is it now down? And if so, at what point did it change? An equally slippery term is slip, which, in the third-person singular simple, presents as slips, present participle as slipping, simple past and past participle as slipped, and which comes from the Proto-Indo-European slub, via the Middle Low German slippen, and that is just one of three lines of etymology. To slip an aircraft is to yaw it, so that it progresses in a crab-wise and most uncomfortable manner. In a turn, it would be correctly described as uncoordinated, but slipping is often used to create extra drag on a high approach, to correct the situation, or perhaps to see past a long nose when lining up on the runway to land. 
but it's not something you will often see done in a big aircraft. To measure if our aircraft is slipping or the corollary skidding, we use one of the simplest instruments on the instrument panel, a little ball in a curved glass tube. Should we allow the nose of the aircraft to point into a turn, we are skidding. If it points out of a turn, we're slipping. To correct the situation, we apply rudder until the ball is back into the centre of the tube and the aircraft is aligned with the relative airflow. Some aircraft use an even simpler device, a bit of string. I trust you'll forgive me if I leave skidding to another day. Yoke is a lovely word and a device much loved by a particular type of pilot. In ancient Roman times, a yoke was an arch under which a defeated army was made to march. A yoke is a mechanism that couples, attaches, tethers, or otherwise fastens a pair of animals into position. A yoke is also used to join two people in a close relationship, which is why you find one on many kinds of aeroplanes. As to the origin, it goes back to the Greek zugon and Latin jugum, meaning join, and then finds its way via Old German josh to Old English. In aircraft, yokes come in a variety of shapes and sizes, the most common being of a U or W design. However, Some aircraft use an M style, such as the Embraer aircraft and Concorde. There are some rarer exotic or archaic styles, such as circular designs, much like a car steering wheel. In larger aircraft, they are usually mounted on a post, sticking out of the floor and getting in the way of your meal tray, and can be referred to as a control column. In most other planes with them, they are mounted on a tube that comes out of the instrument panel. Side sticks and centre sticks are better for making rapid control inputs and dealing with high G-forces, hence their use in military, sport and aerobatic aircraft. Yokes are less sensitive, thanks to a larger range of motion, so better for those not blessed with a delicate touch, and they take up more room than side sticks, sometimes even obscuring instruments. By comparison, side sticks are not intrusive, allow for the provision of tray tables, bearing three-course meals, and make it easier to move around. The comparison is, in the main, however, pointless as any professional pilot worth his salt will fly well using whatever is in front of him. When I say to come to a stand, in this case I'm not referring to our parking position at the terminal, but actually to an intransitive of the 1400s, meaning become stuck or be set fast, to stall. The old French estelle, or English stiol, were adopted to refer to an engine or engine-powered vehicle which became stuck or stopped. The earliest attested use of stall in the aeronautical meaning is in 1904, when Wilbur Wright himself, and congratulations for the recent anniversary of your first flight, old chap, stated that he allowed the machine to turn up too much and it stalled it. The noun form can be found 14 years later. 
he went straight up 300 feet and stalled and fell out of the stall right into the middle of the field. In our world of aviation, the stall occurs when a wing goes beyond the critical angle of attack and the smooth flow over the wing surface breaks down into a turbulent, inefficient mess that will no longer produce enough lift to support the weight of the aircraft. Whilst speaking of our favourite bicycle makers, the Wright brothers, I must thank them for the next device which they attached to the front of their first powered aeroplane, a duck. A large number of early aircraft designs had ducks fitted, since many were suspicious of putting one on the back after the famous pioneer of flight, Otto Lilienthal, had been killed in a glider of that design. Some tried flying without a duck at all, but they were very difficult to control. The problem was that duck behaviour wasn't properly understood, and by 1914, W.E. Evans commented that the duck-type model has practically received its death blow, as far as scientific models are concerned. That didn't stop the Germans from playing with ducks, and in 1927, Focke-Wulf built the F-19 with a duck. Funnily enough, they called their aircraft a duck. Enter, in German, which does mean duck. The design was inherently safe, since the duck is designed to stall before the wings, which made the duck effectively stall-proof. Perhaps these ducks are becoming a bit confusing, so I should probably revert to the original French word for a foreplane or control surface that's situated in front of the wing, a canard, or more correctly, canard. French for duck. Sadly, Fock Wolf's co-founder, George Wolf, was killed when the F-19 Enter came down following the failure of a control rod. The use of a duck as a common control design re-emerged in the jet age, and particularly with supersonic design. The North American Valkyrie and the Soviet Sukhoi T-4 both had canards, but it was the Swedish Saab company that overcame earlier problems with their close-coupled duck design on the Viggen. Nowadays, ducks are everywhere, from mirages to Sukhois, from beechcraft to Eurofighters. What is interesting about the term canard is that it also is used to describe a fabricated or unfounded report or story. But let me assure you that this particular story will not prove to be entirely a canard since the term's use in aviation comes from the arrival of the Santos Dumont 14 bis aircraft of 1906, which, with its long fuselage stretching forward from the wings and sporting a box-like foreplane, was said to look like a duck, or canard. The word itself comes from the old French, caney, to quack, which also means hoax, so... Duck, you sucker! Flying West is American for gone for a Burton. 
Generally, it seems to be connected to the earliest parts of human history and the direction of the setting sun, symbolizing the end of the day and so, figuratively, the end of one's life. Going west has been used to refer to dying since at least the 16th century, and it's sometimes said that it refers to the ride westward that condemned prisoners in London took from Newgate Prison to the gibbet at Tyburn, where Marble Arch now stands, though the idea is probably much older. The land of the setting sun was thought to be the abode of the dead for many cultures, for the sun was seen as dying each night and being reborn in the morning. The American Heritage Dictionary of Idioms states that it was first recorded in a poem of the early 1300s. Women and many a willful man, as wind and water, have gone west. It's possible that the idea goes back to Roman times, where west and death were linked. Indeed, the word Occident, meaning west, is similar to the Latin for I fall down, perish. The Celts believed that the land of the dead was in the west. Avalon and other such abodes of the dead were called the western countries. To the Celts nothing was out to the west but water and the end of the world. Past that was found paradise. It may surprise some, but going west was also a term used by old Egyptians, as in Egyptian mythology the dead went west across the Nile to the afterlife, after passing judgment, as the western desert was not generally inhabited in ancient times and was presumed to be the land of the dead. So, if I were you, I'd keep heading east, young man. Very, very nice. I love those kind of plain tales. I don't know the movie reference at all. I don't either. I was trying to pick it out. No, I have no idea. Um, Well, it's one of the uh, spaghetti westerns. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's one of the fistful of uh, dollars. And it is called, well, there are two different titles, depending on where you were, lived. Uh, One was Duck You Suckers, and the other was A Fistful of Dynamite. And it's a, it's not Clint Eastwood, but uh, um, two other actors whose names have momentarily escaped me. But if you've never seen it, it is a treat uh, that you will thoroughly enjoy when you're sitting back with your tummies full of uh, uh, turkey and uh, brim full of uh, lovely wine. Uh, just kick it up on wherever you can get it and watch a fistful of dynamite. It's funny, clever. A fistful of dynamite. Quack, quack. Better than Blazing Saddles? (laughs) Yep. Afraid so. It's better than Blazing Saddles. No way. No, it is. It is. Seriously. Uh, Because Mm. it's uh, it's sentimental. It's funny. It's well-made. It's wonderfully directed. Superbly acted. It's just a classic. And if you have never seen it, well, you could just treat ahead of you. All I can say is, die, Jeff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> he was hoping by now we would have forgotten. Yeah. Nope, yeah. definitely haven't said forgotten. That, he said that with really great emotion. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Almost, I do my best. 
Oh, man. Well, another job well done. Thank you, Nick. I well enjoyed done. it. I, that was Great. fun. I, I like those. But I'm going to leave a gap now. I need to do my Christmas outtakes next. Excellent. Always look forward to those. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's uh, resume our feedback with... Uh, Be- before you do, can yeah. I, I raise my bottle to a white Christmas? Oh, Merry Christmas, I everybody! Dreaming From Boston, Sam Adams. Of a white Christmas. Christmas. I don't know the rest of it. Just like the ones I used to know. What yes, movie did it come Just from? Just like the ones I used to know. Holiday Inn. Something be merry and bright. Yeah, I don't know. Great, great. And may all your Christmases be white. Yes, there you go. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> okay. Night, and but happy it's holidays. amazing that I actually, what, what people are probably shocked at, that I'm actually drinking a beer and it's White Christmas. So, But it's Sam Adams, so we're not that surprised. Yeah. Of course. From Boston. 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 Sorry to interrupt, but continue. Well, let's go from Boston, Boston to Texas, where Texas Charlie sends us feedback. Feedback, uh, guys and gals, Merry Christmas to all. Even Santa is getting the short end of this pilot shortage stick. <gasps> Read on. This is from a, a sat, sat, satirical site. Did I say that right? Satirical? Yeah. That's what I was trying yeah. to say. Uh, Duffelblog.com. And uh, so this is from Santa's Workshop. The North Pole is in the midst of a readiness crisis as it struggles to fill its pilot's ranks or pilot ranks with qualified reindeer who are leaving the service in record numbers to work at commercial sleigh lines. Sources confirmed today. Typical. Yeah. Santa Claus claims he has only 75% of the deer power he needs to deliver presents this year, especially in crucial heavy lift squadrons. Here's a quote. Where's Rudolph when you need him? I know. This is truly alarming. There's no way I'll be able to deliver presents to all the good girls and boys, let alone coal to all the naughty ones like Damon. <laughs> said Claus. The reindeer we do have are being worked to the antler, flying three or four gumdrop sorties a day. Santa is offering hefty incentive bonuses to keep reindeer from leaving for more lucrative jobs at the commercial sleigh lines like Hooftanza. <laughs> but even offers of triple helpings of moss and herbs are not enough to keep them in service. Unless he can fix the retention problem soon, Santa says he might have to cancel Christmas across large swaths of North and South America. Well, hey, Europe's fine. Yeah. I guess Ooh. it'll be okay. We're good. Yeah. And, and, and he can bring me coal. That would make me a rich man because then I would chew on the coal and poop diamonds. So that's perfect. Thank mm. you, Santa. Thanks for you sharing. You can turn Burn coal it into diamonds. Burn it into power. <laughs> yes. In a non-ecological friendly manner. <laughs> Ecologically? Ecologically? All, all I Ecological? can say is all the ladies would love me. Are, are, are we somehow shifting into uh environmental thing right now? I was doing the opposite of that, oh, but recycling. But we're that's not okay. going green. Not going green. <laughs> yeah, it's more like yeah, yeah. <sighs> well, anyway, you want to read the whole thing? Uh, look at the uh, show notes for the link that uh, Texas Charlie sent us from the duffelblog.com. And moving on, yes. By the way, that's the ugliest <laughs> reindeer I've ever seen. Is. Oh, Hold the, on, I have to pull picture. it back up. Well, Graham I mean, said, Jeff and Dana need the coal to keep the mad dog flying. That's right, we do. 
<laughs> no cold. Yeah, it's not. It's not the most flattering picture of a reindeer. No, but it's not yeah. the worst. It's kind of not. It's not his good side. It's just one side. Yeah. Not the, good the framing was just a little off. Because you don't see the yeah. antlers. I mean, stuff. Captain Nick could have done so much better. Oh, yeah. With that subject. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and he certainly does not look happy to have his photograph taken. No. 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 Four. You're talking to me. <laughs> David, <laughs> David writes, trying to move this thing along. Hello. Also, reindeer is delicious if you've never had reindeer. Yes, I've eaten them. They're very good. Okay. Let's get a hoof on. Sorry. <laughs> oh, Carry <man>. on. <laughs> I'm going to poke you with my antler. Um, I recently discovered. I, <laughs> I recently discovered your podcast. And am now a regular passenger. I wish I had discovered it sooner, as I don't think I will have the time to catch up on all the past episodes. And I'm Rubbish! Sh- <laughs> Poor excuse. <laughs> and I'm sure I have missed out on some entertaining discussions. Oh, yeah, you have. <laughs> and, of course, <laughs> fascinating plain tales. Eh. Let's just say, just listen to episode 200. No, let's not say that. Like many of your listeners, I suspect, I've always dreamed of being a pilot. But somehow, I've never followed that dream. I'm now in my mid-30s with a young family to support, so I think the dream is going to be difficult for me to follow. But I haven't given up all hope yet, just yet. Listening to the podcast certainly inspires me to keep the dream alive. Anyhow, I have an aviation question for you, so I hope you find it interesting enough to discuss. On a recent flyby flight from Paris, Charles de Gaulle, to Southampton, SOU, We had a slightly uncomfortable landing, which has left me with a few thoughts, and I wonder if the APG crew and community can shed some light on them. We departed Charles de Gaulle about 20 minutes late on a Bombardier Q400, or as Matt Smith says, Bombardier. No. Is that what he says? Bombardier. 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 There we go. Bombardier. (laughs) Uh, The flight was pleasant with clear views across the channel and along the Solent. Is that the way you yep, pronounce it? Right. The strait between the Isle of Wight and the mainland on which the cities of Southampton and Portsmouth reside. Although South, Southampton is my city, I must admit that the view of rival city Portsmouth is more interesting on the approach, especially with the historic naval dockyard, which features HMS Victory, Nelson's flagship at the Battle of Trafalgar in 1805. Yes. Very good. I, I'm suspicious though because he's misspelled Isle of Wight. Uh oh. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, there's no H. It's just Isle it's of Wight. Oh, W I G H T. Yeah, not not white as in the color. You know, I have to give him a break here because he's probably doing it for my benefit because he knows that if he didn't if he spelled it correctly, I would have mispronounced it. yeah, good point. Um, anyway, we approached the airport from the south, runway two, and I felt that what well, we seemed to be approaching lower than usual. I wasn't particularly alarmed by this, and it may have just been my perception, but it did seem that we might soon be making eye contact with the birds in the treetops if we got any lower. And that was before we crossed the six lane M27 motorway to reach the airport perimeter. What followed is what leads me to my questions. As soon as we touched down, the pilot was immediately very hard on the brakes, much harder than I'm used to on landing. It soon became clear that the reason for this rapid deceleration was so that we could exit the runway at the second and last taxiway to avoid doing a 180 turn further along and coming back on ourselves. I've since 
looked at Google Maps and the distance between the threshold and the and this exit is roughly 737 meters, which for us non-metric people is 2,419 feet. That's not very much. My first question is, uh, is it possible that the pilot chose to touch down before the threshold? I assume this would be frowned upon, but I don't know if it's forbidden. Uh, secondly, I'm reluctant to question the professionalism of the, of the crew, but do you consider it potentially irresponsible to apply brakes in such a way just for saving a few minutes? I realize this is just my recollection of the events, and I could be completely off course, but I would be interested to hear, hear your thoughts on it. Certainly, as I sat drinking coffee a few days later, overlooking the runway before our return flight to Paris, I noticed all of the larger planes going beyond this exit and turning around on the taxiway. By the way, Southampton is a small airport and the largest planes to operate are Flybees, Bombardiers, and Embraers, but it's a little bit famous due to an incident that has featured or that has been featured on Mayday Air Crash Investigation. That was British Airways Flight 5390, which suffered an explosive decompression when a cockpit window was blown out. The plane landed at Southampton with the captain hanging half inside and half outside the cockpit. He miraculously survived the incident, as did all on board. And uh, oh, Liz thank, uh, helpfully puts a uh, note in here, says that Nick did a plain tale on that particular episode, Flight 5390, and the title of said plain tale is, I Believe He Is Dead. And uh, that was featured on Airline Pilot Guy episode 248. And you can find it by just doing a search on the website, and we have a separate Plain Tales feed, and you'll be able to go right directly to it, and you won't have to listen to all the other stuff that uh, is on it. <laughs> Which we love. Yeah. We love the stuff. <laughs> of course we do. Or just listen to the stuff. Yeah, just listen to the yeah. stuff and forget that stuff. And then the Plain Tales. Yeah. yeah. Do yourself a favor. <laughs> Clear skies, soft landings, tailwinds, etc. to all, David. And so I... Uh, I yes? I was going to say, can I chime in on this as a former turboprop pilot? Yes, I, I put a uh, airport diagram for your perusal. Uh, I have pulled mm-hmm. it up as well with the non-metric information as well. Oh, okay, very good. Uh, so, uh, well, Dana, you you uh, put your hands up hand up first. So go ahead, I'll call on you. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, number one, it's it's a matter of um, assessment by the pilots flying and a perception of of you um as to what uh, your what you felt david and you know when when we touch down you know it really depends on at what point we touch down if if we touch down right in the touchdown zone it may be realistic to make it now i have to say the q400 q400 and the you know brazilia are not very different in the fact that you can go right into beta which actually feels very much like the fact that you're really slowing down rapidly that amount of runway was at 2419 uh to that point for a turboprop actually is not a whole lot of, uh, not, not, you know, you don't need that much runway with turboprop, especially when you go into beta. Uh, they, they stop very efficiently and, uh, you know, maybe the pilot judged it based on the fact that, you know, where he touched down the touchdown zone, he could easily make it. It may have felt like you were hanging on the, uh, hanging on the, the brakes a little bit more excessively, and that may be true, but it's not an unsafe operation, especially in a turboprop aircraft. Now, if you see other aircraft going longer, like you mentioned that you, you know, that they fly more, uh, you know, 
other R type of RJs. Maybe the last few times you've flown in there, you may have been on an RJ. Uh, and they're not, of course, very efficient at stopping, especially uh, um, if, it, you know, depending on which type of RJ. Did he say? I'm, I'm forgetting. Uh, he uh, said, well... No, he said, he said Embraer's Q400? and Bombardier's, and he, this he was on a so, he was on a Bombardier yeah. Q400. So, so, so well, Bombardier, eight. but but I mean, if 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 he's Bombardier, if he's referring to maybe the uh, you know the 200, uh, that aircraft doesn't have slats, so there's no way in its world that it's going to make it in the 700 or 900. You know, they're also going to you know take up much more runway space, more than 900 than the 700. Those are also, those are Canada. Uh, Regional Canada. jets that you're talking regional about. Well, no, Embraer. they can't. B- Bombardier Canada. Okay, okay, gotcha. Right, so he, you know, he could be saying, yeah. uh, you know, it, it may be it's a Canada jet, but it's a bombard. It's made bombard by, okay. by Bombardier. So, yeah. you know, it's it's it, it's all a matter of perception. I, I don't think, unless it's an icy runway or or uh, an unusual circumstance. Um, you know, maybe they were tight on their schedule. They were already running late. You know, there, there are a whole lot of parameters, but no, uh, you know, you, your, your um, perception of a lower approach, that could be very much the fact that you're in the turboprop versus a, uh, you know, a C200, uh, the two, you know, the Canary Bombardier Canary 200, uh, which has a different approach profile simply because it doesn't have slats. So there are a lot of uh, factors here that I think could play into it. I don't think it, that they were operating unsafe in, in, to, to make that tax away, especially with it yep. being a Q, uh, Q400. So if you look at the airport diagram, just to give our listeners a uh, idea of what's going on, if he touches down on runway 02, um, there are actually two taxiway options. Um, one is Alpha One, which it'd be hard pressed to make that in a 150. Uh, it could be done. I did. I did I've, it. I've, I've done it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, on that very airfield, I made Alpha okay, One fine. in a 150. You can make it in a 150. You're not going to make it in a Q400. No. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Let's just put that out there. The air, the uh, runway itself is 1,723 meters, which is. Oh, I just lost my taxi diagram. 5,653 feet. Um, And taxiway B, which is the second and last option to exit the runway before you have to make a 180 and come back, is not quite halfway down uh, the the airfield there after the uh, touchdown zone. So, I mean, for a Q400, I I don't know. I don't fly the aircraft, um, but... It seems reasonable that if you did some reasonable braking for it, you could make that taxiway um, and exit the the runway. But it would probably be, you know, a pretty pretty good deceleration. Well, I mean, the, I mean, the turbo, turbo prop turbo. I mean, going it, to and however you're using, you know, whether it's in beta with brakes, whatever, it's it's just going to feel like a pretty firm braking process. I mean, passengers. it's not uncommon for a, a, a regional turboprop aircraft to go into a 3,000-foot runway, okay? And it can right. make that very yeah, easily. But do they have, so, but did they have to do that? That's Well, you know, that's that's a matter of judgment on the, on the captain and the first officer's part. I mean, do they have to? Probably may not. I mean, I don't, I mean I'm not saying it was not safe. I'm just not – I'm wondering if it was smart and uh, Well, guys, there's another option here that yeah. you haven't discussed, and this happens in the Caribbean a lot. Because at the Caribbean, you have a lot of runways like this, where the only place to exit the runways is, in the is like the midpoint. Yep. Yeah, is at the midpoint. Like Port au Prince is the perfect example. It's, I mean, you got 10,000 feet of runway, but the only way to get off is dead center. Yeah. And uh, 
yeah, he can make that turnoff in a, in a turboprop piece of cake. It's not a big deal. But the big thing is you have sometimes they want you to try to make those turnoffs because there's somebody behind you. Right. And you have to realize when if he has to go turn around, he's closing the runway mm-hmm. until he clears. Yeah, so we don't know all the So we, we, I had a, a similar situation that I observed as a passenger on a um, Britain Norman Islander landing in mm-hmm. yeah it's a great great aircraft i love that <laughs> show <airplane>. <laughs> in uh antigua and kind of the same thing there's there's actually multiple um exits from that runway if i remember correctly but basically what the pilot was clearly trying to do was land and stop within an appropriate distance to where he wanted to exit the runway to taxi to the parking space so we landed quite long you know, I'm looking at us, and I was actually sitting in the right seat in the front of the aircraft because no one else wanted to sit there. I was like, I'll sit there. <laughs> and he kept having to slap Steph's hands I know, away like, from stop the controls. Touching yeah. the controls. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was fine. But you know, you're looking at you're looking at the Pappy, like and you've got four white lights on the Pappy. And I'm like, where are you going, dude? You know, um, but that's because he wanted he purposefully was touching down long because it was a very long runway. This is a aircraft that shot that stops very short, um, you know, short takeoff landing type of aircraft and no problem to make the taxiway that he was looking for. But it's just kind of interesting watching that happen. And you, I, I don't know who was behind us. I didn't have a headset. I had no idea who was on the radio behind us and possibly landing behind us that we needed to vacate the runway for. So you, you never know what else is going on in terms of the operation. No, I mean maybe somebody's waiting to take off. I mean the, the reality is 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 we 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 can't Monday morning quarterback this because we don't oh, know yeah, exactly we can. what's going on. But <laughs> hey, we do it all the time. Dave. That's right. We're doing it right now. <laughs> yeah. The other thing, if you look at the runway diagram, a guy can't come on the runway to take off until this guy clears as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, until he clears Alpha that's One, yeah. and that's what yeah. Antigua is that same way. Yep. I've watched that yep. islander do that exact approach. Yep. Maybe I saw you do it. I don't know. You, you but may have. You may have. I mean, for us to make that, it's past midfield at that airport. For us not to go to the end, you have to land pretty much on brick one, and you have to stand on them. Full reverse, full brakes, as fast as you can. Right. And uh, It just depends on the aircraft type. I mean, yeah. it's a 5,600-foot-long runway. So, yeah. you know, that's it's very different for a 737 or an MD-88, MD-90 versus... As a former turboprop regional pilot, I can tell you this. We will tend to stop shorter and faster than a jet will, and we'll try to make a, you know, that taxiway Bravo. In my experiences, we would try to make that. So it, that's that's just the, the, you know, turboprops are very efficient on the ground of stopping and stopping fast. The only thing I'll say before we move on is the fact that I have seen... <gasps> <laughs> For those of you listening to the audio, that was Dana's hat that he's wearing. His very festive holiday hat sings. And it dances. And it dances. Jeff, you look so amused. I am very amused. I am. <laughs> that time it was perfect. The only thing I'll say, other than singing that nice little ditty, is that I have seen so many really, really nice landings ruined by people after having a beautiful touchdown jamming on the brakes 
and you know everybody you're hanging in your shoulder straps and sometimes even hearing screams from the back of the airplane ah. just to try to make a taxiway i'm thinking what the heck are you thinking you just now that's the only thing they're going to remember when they get off the airplane is and how they know almost what died. when they get off the airplane airplane hmm? they give you they give you a very nice greeting when they get off the airplane. Oh, yeah. Much like the yeah. one that I received uh, not too long ago. Exactly. What, what are you, Absolutely. a Navy pilot landing Absolutely. on a carrier? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, that. yeah, thank you. So, <laughs> Who's number one? Yeah, I'm number one. Thank You're you. number one, Jeff. Yeah, thanks. So, anyway, that, uh, that that's I'm the only thing you, I'll say, uh, you know. I mean, he was 20 minutes late trying to make up some yeah. time. You either accept the fact that it's going to be an uncomfortable landing and you're going to save five minutes at least mm -hmm. or you have a nice smooth rollout everyone's happy and they don't know that you could have turned off early mm -hmm. so they don't really care they i mean they've no way to tell yeah my one flight instructor taught me a long time ago the number one thing is smoothness counts yes end of conversation anybody In a listening environment absolutely and anybody that's listening to this is thinking become an airline pilot that is an airline pilot that is a former military pilot that's flying airliners smoothness counts end of conversation yes and oh by the way we do not land in the overrun Oh, yeah. Good point. We forgot that part. That was at the beginning. Yeah, I don't think he... There is a displaced threshold there, a small, you know, short displaced yeah, threshold. It's, but it's not huge. a lot. It's a couple it's hundred like, feet. Yeah. I don't um, think that, you know... It was like 200 feet or something. I looked it up on here. Yeah, we're not allowed to land short prior to the threshold. That's a no-no. No, 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 no. Don't do that. No, 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 no. no. It is... For runway zero two. it is no. 240 feet. Yeah. Yeah, no. yeah it's but not a huge amount. Not a ton. I uh, just got this in from Liz, breaking news. Um, Nev, uh, or no, New has watched the latest Gatwick news? I think that's Nev. Nev, okay. Yeah. Um, another drone sighted tonight. Airport closed until tomorrow morning, and the CAA will decide in the morning if and when the airport will reopen. So more troubles for Gatwick and the drone controversy. Okay. And... Wow. Well, you know, we're running out of time quickly here. We have about 10 minutes left, and I wanted to play so many of these things. Looking at this list of things, my dear co-hosts, uh, oh, let's just do this one quickly. You know, we talk about um, support animals, emotional support animals. Uh, and the Ah, uh, yes. Are you talking about Philadelphia? Yeah. yeah. Near and dear to Colonel Jeff's heart and my heart, and you were just there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, Chuck, Gus, Sean, several of you uh, sent in links to this story in Philadelphia. Stressed out holiday travelers at the Philadelphia International Airport can now bring an emotional support chicken carrier with them on their flight, courtesy of Popeye's Louisiana Chicken. Starting December 18th, flyers who love that chicken from Popeye's. Oh, I see what they did there. Love that chicken from Popeye's. Can have their three-piece tenders combo meal placed in a bird-shaped box. During what is predicted to be a record-breaking holiday travel season, the fast food chain wanted to provide some soul food stress relief. So anyway, uh, look at the picture in the show notes of the cute little carrying box for uh, I'm half tempted chicken. just to make a short trip to Philadelphia to get the is box. Is Philadelphia the only place you can get one of these? I wonder. As far as I know. Oh. I mean, we don't have Popeyes. We have Bojangles. Well, we have Popeyes have in the, Atlanta. Do you? Yeah. Not in the airport. Sure. Yeah, we have it in the I airport, too. Yeah. No, no, no. It's got to be in the airport. Yeah, I, we do have, oh, like, at have least Popeyes. two. Yeah, I think at least two of them, right? Uh, on uh, B and, and D, I think. 
Actually, the one on B is supposedly the busiest Popeyes in the country. Oh, it's got to be. I believe that. It's got to be. In, in Atlanta? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I believe it. But I know you have, I'm pretty sure you have Popeyes and Charlotte's. And Charlotte's. No, no. We have Bojangles. Oh. Well, we have Bojangles too. We have Church's Chicken. No. Anything other than Kentucky Bojangles fried chicken. sacrilegious. Okay. I promise. We don't want to start any religious wars here. That's enough chicken, guys. That's enough chicken. Okay. We love our fried chicken here in the South. We do. And I just want to carry the box around in uniform. <laughs> oh, my God. Please do and take a picture. <laughs> Send it to us. I'll be so happy. Yes, you have. You I are. got a four-day trip. I'm going to be looking. Okay. <laughs> we'll we'll put it out there, Jeff. Good. I, I get a six-day trip. Dana, grab up. one when you come through. Yeah, well, I've got six days coming up, so I'll, I'll be looking for sure. Go ahead, come through Philly? Philly? I'm checking right now. Through, uh, what, Christmas Day, I think? Uh, stand by. I'm checking. Not chicken. Not chicken. I mean, not chicken, chicken. Hey, while you're chicken. doing you're that, checking, not chicken. I'm going to play some. Yes, I'm in Philadelphia. I am in Philadelphia on uh, the 20, what day? It's 25th. On Christmas, Christmas Day. Day. You wouldn't know because you're Jewish. And now, with that, <laughs> let's uh, move on to... What? <laughs> now, let's hear from our good friend, Captain Steve. Hey, Captain Jeff and APG crew. This is uh, from Captain Steve here. Um, currently wearing three stripes for uh, Acme Purple. Um, in my car, headed to the airport in my hometown here. Uh, headed to my first day of work. Uh, finished up IOE last week. Uh, did a couple uh, weeks of IOE after training. And uh, this is the first uh, operational flight that I'm going to be doing that is out of the training environment. It feels really good to finally be done with training. Started back in August and finally... If I didn't say that once, I'll say it again. Finally, I'm done with uh, training. So, uh, crazy thing, um, I've been being paid all day today to sit at home, uh, play with the kids, hang out with the family. Uh, the, the trip was in open time, and it started with a deadhead up to my hometown, and then sit here all day and do one operational flight back to our sort facility in Memphis and I picked it up a time and a half <laughs> so I feel like I'm scamming the system a little bit but after that length of training and at the scales that they were uh, having us on it feels really good to actually finally do some work and actually get paid for it so just want to give you guys an update um, about the progress with that it's uh, the people over here at Acme Purple are really great a lot of fun um, super knowledgeable and uh, really bend over backwards to help everybody that they come in contact with. Just some of that down south hospitality, I think is what it is. Anyway, clear skies, tailwinds, y'all, and we'll uh, talk to you later. Love that chicken from Popeye's down south. I love that little southern accent he threw in there at the very end. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Steve. He's the guy that does the How I Got Here. Um, great uh, little productions. 
And uh, I told him that he uh, he has to continue to do that after he gets all settled in there. His uh, his audio quality has dropped off a bit. Yeah, quite a bit. <laughs> well, that, was, uh, that was road noise, I guess. Have a high, uh, <laughs> yeah, Steve, you got to yeah, work on where's that. Where's that nice little yeah? Where's that nice little jazz uh, you know, background? But it's hard to believe it's the same he'll, Steve, he'll isn't get it? Back to it. He'll get back to it. Just, he's getting settled, little bit, settled in over there at Acme Purple. Yeah. Somebody call it. That's, uh, so that's give him a little bit of time, and uh, he'll be back. Good. Yeah, looking no forward to the next it. one. Good to hear from you. Uh, Absolutely. And quickly. And congratulations. Uh, yes, congratulations. Eight, Matt. Uh, speaking, we just heard about Steve's um, progress, an update on his progress. We're going to hear from Matt. He says, just a quick bit of feedback and an update on my flight training. I've recently progressed onto the CPL phase of flight training over here in Australia, and I'm really enjoying the challenges and freedom from the training area that comes with it. I've also recently been advised that you can't retroactively add a disclaimer regarding APG's responsibility in my decision to quit a perfectly good career to switch to aviation. Yeah, you can't. Uh, sorry. Yeah. You're on your own. As always, Captain Nick's plane tales are one of the many best parts of the show. And as a member of civilized, <laughs> oh, thank you. I, I, I'm just reading what he you wrote. Really feel, Captain Jeff. <laughs> yeah. No, I I agree with him. Uh, and as a member of civilized society, I really enjoyed the tale about Biggles, as my grandfather read it to my father as a boy, and he in turn read this to my brothers and me while oh, growing how up. How cool is that? Yeah. That's very cool. I would like to suggest Nikki Barr, a World War II RAAF pilot, as a topic for Plain Tales, and a suggested read. I've tried to attach the blurb off the back of his book as a summary of some of his exploits, but apparently it didn't get attached. Anyway, uh, if Glaucus, Glaucus, Glaucus is still interested in, uh, I'm flying with a school that has a base at Bankston, or is that Bankstown? Bankston? Bankstown. Bankstown. Yeah. Okay. That sounds like it matches the, de the description from his feedback and am happy if you pass on my details and I'll try to answer from my perspective any questions I can regarding full versus part-time courses, being a mature, and he puts in parentheses, more in age than actions student, and payment options, hex, vet fee, help, etc. Keep up the good work, and I wish you and everyone in the APG community a Merry Christmas and a safe and prosperous New Year. Matt from Oz. That's Matt Thomas. Thank you, Matt, for the update on your training progress and the information for G-Man. And that, I think, is going to have to be it. We still have great feedback next time uh, from uh, Philip from Switzerland. Um, a great interview that Nev did with a, a, a APG fan, Andrew, and uh, James, a new listener. So that and many more, I'm sure, on the next episode. And if you would like to learn more about the community, head over to airlinepilotguy.com. And uh, that's all kinds of good stuff there. And uh, we're also on social media. We are. You can check us out on Twitter using the handle at APG Crew. Uh, interact with us there in 280 characters or less. All of our individual Twitter information is pinned to the top of the page if you'd like to interact with us one-on-one. -on -one. You can also find us on Facebook.com slash Airline Pilot Guy. Um, all kinds of community interaction going on there. Information about meetups, information about happenings in the world of aviation, stories being shared, um, folks getting to know one another. 
and we look forward to seeing you there. We also have a Slack team. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share ideas and news. We suggest episode and Plain Tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled H-I-1-1-E-1, Hotel India, 1-1, Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks, Hillel, and until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, God bless, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Cheers, y'all. Hi, have a great time, everybody. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Happy Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to everybody. Merry Christmas to all, and to all, a good night. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day.